fellas, we're in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision engineered tools for your family jewels. The Lawnmower 3.0 Electric Trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. You know the drill, ceramic blade, advanced skincare technology, waterproof capabilities, it's simply the best. And Manscaped's performance package is the best buy of 2021. The performance package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, a Travel Bag Deodorant, and Soothing Aloe Toner. And with our background, you know we might as well use the best tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20. Welcome to the Digging Deep ATV MX Podcast with your host, two-time defending ATV motocross national champion, Cody Jensen. Am I on air? What's up, everybody? We're back. I'm your host, Cody Jansen, and welcome to a very special episode, episode number 47 of the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast, presented by our title sponsor, CST Tires, available for purchase at shop.csttires.com. Bird, 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 bird is the word in this one. The legend that is Joe Bird joins us tonight for an absolutely unforgettable episode of the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. We also have a special guest coming up at the end of the episode, so keep listening for that. I want to get right into this awesome conversation with the Birdman, but first, two things. One, I'm stoked to announce that sign up for Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy is now open. Think you know ATV motocross better than the rest? Prove it by signing up to play our Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy League today. Go to ATVFantasy.com or click the link on our social media channels to sign up and lock in your four-rider team for Daytona. Players will compete for weekly and season-ending prize opportunities. A one-time sign-up fee will grant you access to Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy for the entirety of the 2021 season. This small fee will help us pay for the hosting service. Um, just wanted to add that in there. This is an Exciting day for ATV Motocross fans. Sign up today for the first ever ATV Motocross Fantasy League. Lastly, let's shout out all the awesome people that make this show possible. CST Tires, go to shop.csttires.com. Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI Decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV Components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Factory 4 43 bikes, trikes, and quads LLC and Manscaped get 20% off and free shipping with code diggingdeep20 at manscaped.com. Their clippers rock, their nose hair trimmers are amazing, and they have a bunch of other cool stuff as well. So check out Manscaped. I wish I would have sooner. Get 20% off with free shipping by using code diggingdeep20 at manscaped.com. Support all these great companies that support us, and for any products that fall through the cracks, click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out. The season is 
is right around the corner. We'll be racing before you know it. And we both know that you need parts and gear. No matter what off-road gear parts you need, Rocky Mountain ATVMC has you covered. So before you buy, click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner on our website to help us out. Now, the 30-second board is up, it's sideways, and the gate is down. Time to dig deep. Let's go. All right, guys, this next guest is a very special one for us, brought to you by our friends at Yamaha and their race-ready YFZ450R. Go to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow Yamaha Outdoors on social media, and check out Yamaha's full off-road lineup today at YamahaOutdoors.com. It's two-time ATV Pro Class National Champion, a living legend himself, and an absolutely polarizing figure in the history of our sport. Say hello to Mr. Joe Bird. Joe, what's going on, man? So freaking stoked to welcome you to the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. It's truly an honor, sir. Thanks so much for being here. (laughs) Hey, man, I need you around me all the time. That's a hell of an introduction. I appreciate that. You know, Joe, honestly, uh, this is extra special for me because as a young rider, um, you were my favorite athlete on the planet. I remember heading down to Union City. I was probably uh, 12 years old um, coming down there to the bird facility there and uh, just being in awe, being starstruck by you. So uh, this is a special episode for sure. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here, buddy. Um, yeah. And I remember, uh, remember a lot of pushups, Joe. I remember either your bolts wasn't tied or you didn't do something right. Or, I'm sure that was the hey, case. Hey, cotter pins, cotter, cotter pins. pins. I, I guarantee you that that got most people. Yeah. That got me for sure. Uh, Joe, what are you up to these days? Uh, I know that you were, you were headed South, um, to joy, enjoy some good weather. What's keeping you busy nowadays? Um, not too much, you know, after I retired from racing a couple of years back, I just kind of taking some time off and just kind of forgot what's next in life. And I've been blessed to uh, make a good living in racing and, um, everything went good. And until just a couple of years ago, long story there, I explained that a little later in the conversation, but, um, yeah, I'm just actually retired and honestly, I'm bored as hell. <laughs> I'm looking for something to do and I've got a bunch of aviation job offers coming up and, you know, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta, you know, you gotta make money or ain't worth doing, but you know, I also gotta really love what I'm doing. You know, I really mm-hmm. love racing for 33 years. I did it. Okay. Taught riding schools for almost 30 years and I've got to enjoy what I'm doing at the same time. You still got to make some money, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we're just, you know, right now we just take a few years off and try to enjoy life. And, you know, you never know when your time's up and we're just trying to uh, take it easy for you know a couple of years and figure out what's next. Yeah. Hell yeah. Good for you. I mean, it's all, you obviously earned it after uh, the career that you had and all the, all the accomplishments that you had Uh, when this time of year comes around, Joe, when the, when the weather starts to improve, when, when race season nears, do you find yourself getting the itch at all? Because. Oh God, I miss it. (laughs) I'm itching right now. Just thinking about it, you know, I I believe it. Doug Gus came down last year, rolled a couple months with me. He was itching, you know, and he, right before he started his crop dusting season back up, he was like, the actress fell, got hurt pretty bad and knocked himself out. And he goes, man, that's only like five or six weeks away. I got to stop. And so we rolled for, oh gosh, for weeks this time last year. And, uh, you know how it is where the track's exactly the same as I, my last year race, all the big jumps and everything. We're both talking, going, you know, we're not doing all the jumps. We're just going to do like half of them. I mean, third lap, we were like, screw him, you know, but problem was we can only go about three laps <laughs> so right well we're both we're both yeah. panning and like needing oxygen after that <laughs> uh, but the the competitor and you is never going anywhere um, oh no that same it, with doug and last mm-hmm. see two years ago right i mean a few days before the daytona i got hurt 
and I was riding with uh, Weenie down there training pretty good at my track in Florida. And Rodney Gentry came over, and he's six years older than I am, and same thing. He hasn't raced in years. He had a real, almost brand new Yamaha, and he got out there. Same thing. This is a lot more milder track. It's more like a Southwick track or something. Okay. And we get out there and he wouldn't let me by. I'm like, I'm coming by. <laughs> so we had a heck of a battle. And then Doug Gus comes down there and joins us. So, you know, all those old guys, we still somewhat still have it. And, and we really have the, the mental part of it, you know, but we ain't physically fit like we used to be. Well, you know how it is, right? Like mentally, we never age. So right. mental, mental uh, in your mind, Joe, I'm, I'm assuming you feel like you're mid twenties, you're in your prime. Right. And it's, uh, Oh, absolutely. Heck yeah. Right. It's like, that's how we are. We're perennial, we're perennial kids. We never grow up. So um, I, I needed to ask you that because I figured after so long of being in the sport, um, you know, cause it wasn't long ago, you were still competing. So to have spent so many years, this time of year, you were locked into boot camp training mode. Exactly uh, right. I, I had to assume that uh, you get the itch and miss it this time of year. Yeah. Just like I said, just a couple years ago, I was down in Florida and I'm 40, what was I, 45 at the time. And I said, like, this is it. I'm retiring. If I get on the podium or win Daytona, I'm it. And I've been training all winter. It was uh, four or five days before Daytona. And I actually let Chad take off in front of me. He said, you take off first. Well, that pissed him off. He goes, I don't, you know, like, who are you? You know, I'm like, you take off first. Let me see if I can catch you. Well, sure enough, I did. I called him. I passed him. I'm like, yes, I got, you know. But, you know, I was only had about. 15 minutes in me, but lucky Daytona was, it's only what, 10, 12 minutes. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. yes, I'm ready for this race, you know? Yep. And um, we had a big time down there, but yeah, it's, you know, once I hit 40, I started noticing, and it maybe 41, I started noticing, you know, I, I, I can still do what I did before, but it takes an extra day or two to recover. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. the ground for some reason, I don't know if we got a lot more frost that year, what we got harder every year, you know, after 41. <laughs> so um, yeah, I can, and I really think today, man, if, if the money was there, Myself, John Natale, Doug Gus, Rodney Jenkins, these old champions. Mm -hmm. I really think we could come out and I don't know what we'd get. We're definitely top 10. I, you know, but we obviously we take it so long to get shit. We might have to start in August getting ready for May, you know. But <laughs> right. I really think just the desire and the gut-wrenching determination that these guys mm -hmm. and myself had, and just we haven't lost the, the talent. We just maybe lost a step, you know, but I think I, you know, and I want to say top five, but that's, that's stretching. I know it's your top 10, you know, if yeah. we got back in shape. Yeah. I mean, uh, you guys, all you, you know, the legendary guys that you just mentioned, there's something special that, that made, made up who you guys are. So, uh, definitely wouldn't bet against you guys, but, um, I want to dig into your story, Joe, because it's really unlike any other. And aside from actually riding and racing bench racing and talking about ATV racing, like we're doing here is the next best thing. Uh, so oh, I guess, sure. I guess the, 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 we need to start, um, at the starting point, taking it from the top. Uh, tell me about your first three-wheeler or four-wheeler um, and, and what okay. year that would have been. May 13th, 1982. I got all my stats on everything. I can tell you what, in my third 125th race, what position I got, how much I won, <laughs> who, if I didn't win, who did. I've got 600-something okay. national races long. It's a whole lot of races, more than oh any other in the history. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so where did 1982 where, I started so what's the significance of that date other than your starting point? Or is, do you just remember that because that's when you got your first machine? That's just why I remember I first got it. And so okay. I remember October the 6th, uh, the next year I had a 200X and started racing. And I raced that thing till I guess October, was it the 7th or 8th of 86, 86. Okay. okay. And then for Christmas, my, my, we were racing an indoor race. 
And my dad looks at me, he goes, boy, I know you like those three-wheelers, but in the fours had just come out. I mean, the first one had just hit the floor. He goes, where are you going, two wheels or four? What do you want? I'm like, I want to go four. I mean, it's similar to a three-wheeler, you know, and I didn't want to get mm-hmm. on a stupid-ass dirt bike. I called him back then, you know. Right. Um, yep. You know, they all hate us, so what, you know, anyways. So I got on a four-wheeler and just fell in love with it. And, uh, gosh, I rode those two-strokes. It was, I, my first one was an 86 250R, I believe it was. And I rode that thing till 2002 when they made us go four strokes in 2003. So, and did good on won some racing, but just didn't always was behind people like Shane Head and these little guys, you know, like Hetrick would have done me at the time. And, okay. you know, these guys just had 130, 40, 50 pounds and I'm over 200 pounds and they would just kill me on a power to weight ratio. So the two stroke days were good, but wasn't great to get on four strokes. Okay, sure. That makes, makes uh, so much sense. I think that there's riders that still battle that to this day. Um, and obviously magnified at the time being on two strokes and stuff. Uh, What about when you first transitioned from riding to racing? uh, Did you have to twist your parents' arm to let you do that? Or was it, was it kind of, (laughs) uh, Oh, did you? Okay. Uh, My my mom, she, no, 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 no. I begged her, begged her, begged her. Finally, she said, yes. And dad started saying, this is expensive. No, no, no. So mom had to talk dad and keep doing it, so to speak. And yeah, I had to beg on my, and actually the funny story, the first race I went to, I looked at mom, I looked at daddy, I'm a little kid going, hey, I swear, I, I just, just let me go to this first race, you know, and I get there, I'm in the back of a pickup truck, like, up, sitting on the side of the bike, I'm all so excited, you know, Okay. Yep. and I, I see all these, see all these three-wheelers out there practicing, we were late, you know how to do, we were late for practice, I'm like, oh my God, and it's a big, you know, it's like a, oh gosh, it was, wasn't an, a man-made track, it was a lot of natural train, I, I, we have some videos on um, bird sand tracking, because that was the track I raced on the first time, Okay. and I got so intimidating. I'm going, uh, uh, mom, I'm stuttering. My mom, dad, if you don't want me to race, that's okay. I understand it. My dad goes, hell no, but we spent all this time and money. You're asking to get on the track. If you don't like it, we're done. Oh gosh. Third lap. I was grinning on ear to ear. Just loved it. My mom goes, Oh hell, here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, and doesn't, the, doesn't the story go that it was like four years or something from when you first started racing to lining up for your first pro race? Isn't that the story? Four years? Let's see. I had that. I'm not at home to get all my stats. I got all this stats. Let me see. I lined up and. Must have been like 86, right? Yeah. So 89, I want to say, I won the Eastern Regional if they had 258 class at the time, you probably remember that. Wouldn't, yep. wouldn't you know, that that was right before a pro. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I believe, and I believe that same year, late 89 or 90, I signed up in the, the Night Kid Arena Cross Series. They still have the Arena Cross Series today, but they don't have the quads in it no more. Doug okay. Gus, Donnie Banks, and oh, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if John Italia was in there or not, but all my heroes were in there. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so nervous, you know, like, didn't know what to do. And that very next year, I'm at Loretta Lens on a pro, pro line with Gary Denton and Doug Gus and, mm-hmm. you know, all these top guys, that, you know, that were the badasses back then. And man, you're talking about I had a pit, you know, that's what they got the porta potty right there beside the starting game. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so what, uh, what was that like? Those, those early years um, of kind of getting into riding and racing and finding your footing and then uh, making it to the, to the pro level, like back then, what was it like? Like, how did you know you were ready to go pro? Well, I didn't, in my head, I thought I, I thought about being ready, but I wasn't really ready. I just, I, I was kicking everybody's butt in the local scene. And okay. you know, I go to some of the regional stuff and just, you know, I was, nobody had any competition for me. I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I am ready. I don't know. We'll see. And I went, 
like I said, my late mid to late eighties, I went to see a few amateur nationals, and I did well in those. I don't think I won, but maybe one or two. wasn't I wasn't that great. It was good, but it wasn't great, you know. Okay. And then uh, people just kept talking to me. You know what? If you go to pro class, usually there's less riders, and you're in shape. So you know, people like uh, not naming names, you know, John Scott or whoever these guys. They're not going to go about four or five laps. You can go 20 laps. I mean, because I always was physically active and knew mm -hmm. what I went to school for. Yep. And I was like, sure, I'll try it. In my first race, I got seventh. And oh. that's that's kind of where the number seven comes from. And, of course, the lucky number seven. And mm -hmm. my first folder I got was a toy and had number seven on it. <laughs> so oh, wow. like, when, they, when they told us to pick a number like NASCAR so we can brand your name, you know, I think Tim Farr was the champion at the time and then Shane hit. And I think I was fourth that year. I think Doug Gus was third. And they said, okay, you know, the champion gets to pick his number. And then I was, I get the fourth pick and everybody got the number they wanted, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except that's for Natal. I don't know why his crazy ass went 13. I think he's a, <laughs> that's, his, that's his nut loose in his head, I think, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the, the 13 fits him. Um, but yeah, I wanted to, you know, go ahead. That's that's kind of we had a huge rivalry. There's no secret there for years and years. And uh, since we were both pro am riders on the 500 class, and it just fit when I was lucky number seven, he was you know the unlucky 13 number, and then we were just like butt heads all the time. That was kind of ironic. Yeah, that's uh, that's so funny. I feel like it's so fitting. Um, I I wanted to ask you about that your first pro race um, and what you remember from that. But the the number seven kind of coming from that seems like maybe that's the that's the most significant coming from that uh, that that first pro race of what you remember, huh? Absolutely. Just just knowing that you know how bad I got. You know, even though I did get seventh, you know, I wasn't like right on fifth place's button hell well, he sure wasn't on third place but in a bigger gap at the time you know yep. i just i did, did you know didn't know what i was getting into and how how intense the pace was i went the whole moto you know but i, I went my pace the whole moto and right. i was like man i think i want to say i don't know if it was gus or didn't want to race and I, it was probably gosh maybe a half a lap in front of me i came back and my dad goes well you got some learning to do so i literally called up donnie banks said man how do you doing this i mean i you ain't no i mean i was trying to talk shit to him but you ain't no better and stronger than me because we brought the same high as boys you know mm -hmm. yep. he goes come down to georgia you know his country accent i got one too but he's worse come on down to georgia let me show you how to do this boy and i sure enough went down there and i'll be damn shane hit what name we went to this track that was like the worst sand track we've ever raced red butt on steroids or southwood massachusetts and i went like 15 minutes and i had to stop literally cody i stopped and drank mud out of a mud hole because it was like a three mile trail ride from the truck to where we were riding, I was so tired and hot. He came by just laughing, flipping me off, going that. So I learned how to. He, he really like showed me the hard way. This is how you do it, boy. And they just kept on riding. I'm like, holy crap, are you guys going so hard? Mm -hmm. But I, he showed me the hard way, and I went home. I used to practice my seat off. I get off as soon as I get down a 30 minute motor, push the quad around the track, and said, he ain't beat me like that again. And sure mm -hmm. enough, I got to where I could be. So, so what you learned there at the very beginning, I have to imagine is, is stuff you used for the whole rest of your racing career then. Well, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, like I, I taught you in my riding schools, you know, I tell everybody is, you know, it's 33% mental, 33% physical, and 33%. I can't go get on Chad Wiener's bike right now. You know, it's one of the best ones out there, old Joe Hedrick, and go win the race. Mainly I'm ready. The machine's ready, but I ain't physically ready no more. You know, mm -hmm. same thing with a lot of guys. That's why there's only one champion every year. You got to be mainly physically, and the machine's got to be spot on. So most of the young guys today, 
just don't know how to set up the machine. They're probably milling as physical as anybody, but they just, they don't, they're not educated enough on the machine setup to make it work. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Exactly. I feel like, uh, I feel like, you know, in the newest generation stuff, I feel like some of that art has been lost because uh, so much of the setup and being one with the machine and knowing how your machine works. uh, That's something that was integral for you guys that it had to be that way for you guys. And uh, nowadays, I don't, I don't really think that that's the same for most people anymore. Well, no, it's not. It's not anything to do. A lot of it's to do with just social media and they want to be the most popular guy at the track, sort of on the track. But, you know, some of it's to do with all the guys that are my age. We had to learn this stuff. Nobody taught us. You know, when mm-hmm. I started racing a four-wheeler the day the four-wheeler came out, <laughs> you know. Right. Yep. And so we're like, well, that didn't work. Let's try this. Well, that didn't work. Crap, that broke. I broke my you know. So we had to figure out stuff the hard way. <clears throat> and we used to race the Mickey Thompson Stadium Series. We used to race the TT Series. And you had to have your stuff set up for those events because you couldn't triple a jump or be in better shape or, you know, have your bike set up better or, mm-hmm. you know, have yourself do something on a track to separate you because everybody's going wide open down as you get a, you know, the TT straight away. And everybody's at these t- uh, big Thompson tracks. They're almost like TTs and it's stadium racing and everybody's fast. So you really had to get the setups how you won those things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's kind of like being baptized by fire. I feel like you had to, uh, you had to just test the waters and figure it out by yourselves because there was no, there was no handbook. There was no, uh, people that have been doing ATVs to, to tell you how to do it. So, uh, that, that makes so much sense. So when you look at kind of your, um, you know, your achievement list or whatever, cause there's no archive, right? Like there's no place for people to just go look at all the results from, you know, the eighties and nineties. So, you know, the next major milestone for you doesn't come until 1995 when you won your first pro national event. But uh, what do you remember in kind of that window from 1990, your first pro event to 95 winning your first pro national race? What do you remember of your, your early uh, days in, in pro racing? That would be your first five ish seasons. Yeah. So the first years literally I was racing with, of course, still a stock frame, stock shocks, front and rear. I may have had a pipe on there, stock engine. You know, so mm-hmm. I'm in a pro class. <clears throat> There's a picture. Oh, gosh, Gary didn't share this the other day. We were at Redbud. It was Gary, me, maybe uh, Doug, and Greg Stewart. He was a good jumper back then. And I'm tripling this jump behind Gary with stock shocks on. We just laughed about that. He's got his protracted legger front end and Owen shocks on. And he was, of course, still kicking everybody's ass with me and Doug. Doug does had stock shots forever. He even won, oh God, was that 88? He came out of nowhere and won the the Lord Lens Pro National when they raced on the hill on the other side because the main track was yes. so muddy. So yep, yep. He told yeah, us that so, story. Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> excuse me. So he was a badass. You know, and we're like, he and I both had we grew up basically no didn't know what the hell we we're doing until mm-hmm. we got in the early to mid-90s. And that came for me. My first one was um the, the year before the Mickey Thompson Stadium Series race. So that was at the time is bigger, bigger than a national because we'd race in front of 55, 60,000 right. people. Yep. Now it was, it was only pros, but you had, like I said, we qualify. I, I may get first place or I may get ninth place, but it was what, a, a half a second difference because the tractors were easy. Mm-hmm. So yep. in 93, I was begging old Alan Nose CT racing, hey man, give me a shot, give me a shot. You know, he seen I was getting good at the Nationals. He said, well, I don't know. You know, and I said, man, I'll shave my head. I'll, I'll t- tattoo CT in the side of my head, whatever I got to do. Mm-hmm. And so 
93, I think it was November the 5th, 1993, he said, come on out here. You'll race Candlestick Park out, out in um, San Francisco on Charlie Shepard's practice bike. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. You know, so I get out there, and I qualified. I'm a decent, I think, seventh grade. But in the race, I, I got a seventh grade place start, and I'm getting fifth. He goes, oh, shit, you did pretty good on this practice bike. Let me get you a, a good bike. And at the time, it was JP Racing, which was before Lone Star. Okay. And um, I'm like, oh, I get, I get this. I get a good bike. And so I'm, I'm all excited. I get this chromonic frame. I get this good front end. I got these big 20-something-inch long uh, olden shocks. It didn't work with a damn, but at the time, we thought they did. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so I go to uh, – I think I go out a week ahead of time. And uh, no, I went out like a few weeks ahead of time. I didn't get to ride the bike the day of the race. I was still riding Charlie's practice bike. So – Got some time out in Southern California. I went to the first race, uh, pulled both host shots, and won the damn thing. And I'm 21 years old, I believe. Okay. And I'm I, and I'm at Anaheim, California. This is before they had the earthquake. Mm-hmm. Sixty thousand people there, and I'm like, holy shit! I'm, I'm <laughs> and I'm crying, you know. I'm, I'm looking at what they call it, uh, diamond trying, you know, the big screen at the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm like, holy shit! I'm about to win, you know. I said, the last turn, I see the guy's flag, and anyways, I won the race. And the very next weekend was see San Diego. I did the same thing. So I won the first two races on this brand new cool ass JP 250R. And that, that from that point on, it kicked my sponsor stuff off. And sure. then so that kicks it back into the nationals. And I did um how did I do the nationals that year? I think I got, I don't know, fifth or sixth at the nationals that same year. And then the next year we stepped it up. I think I switched to Legger. Okay. And I got Gosh, was I think I was on PP shocks and legger, and Wayne actually helped me set my stuff up. I should have just ordered something off the shelf and don't want to do it. So I, I, I did really good at a few races, won some heats, but the Red Lands, I was like, this is, you know, similar to my track. Yep. I trained really hard, it's really hot. And I just, I think I won by, gosh, a long time, 30 seconds or something. That event okay. was my big 12 inch front wheels. <laughs> sure. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that was the, that was the start of uh, what would be a dominant run at Loretta's over the years. Yeah. Yeah. That track until they changed it, you know, a few years back, mm-hmm. it was a good racetrack. It's still okay to ride, but used to, you'd have, it's all hard pack. So mm-hmm. you had inside and outside turns. You could go in and block somebody. Now it's like a train track everywhere. Yep. And it don't prep worth a damn. This guy stalled us everywhere. It's all one line. It's just terrible the last few years. But, it, you know, my opinion, it used to be really good. So it was very similar to my track at home. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely has changed over the years. Uh, one of the things, and you touched on it a little bit there, but uh, the guys that you were racing there in the early 90s, um, all the legendary names, obviously Gary Denton, but all the guys after that too. And you're just a young rider at the time that had to be, that had to be pretty incredible. So who were you, uh, you know, cause again, you're a young pro, you just said you're 21, 22 in that range there. Uh, who are you looking up to at the time? Or were you like modeling yourself after any other riders? Uh, was it, was that something that was in your mind at the time? Well, of course, I think I went pro with gosh, like 18 or something. And I just got lucky at Yep. Everything fell into place when I was around 2021. 20, I, I got to win those races. And then I was like, oh, I just fell in love with that sponsor. But, you know, all those names I mentioned, you have um, – I've raced with all, any guy that's ever been a, a, a national champion, I've raced with them, even to this day. Yep. So – but you look – I was looking up to uh, Marty Hart and Gary Denton and I always liked Doug Gust and then Donnie Banks. Those are the guys, you know, like okay. in my head, I'm like, man, these are the guys I got to beat, you know. So, and, and because Donnie was such a tough badass, you know, he was, 
he I don't think he ever won a championship, but he won like the fastest qualifier. Although he was like Patrick a few years back, winning everything, but just couldn't keep it together for the championship. Right. So and he was a big guy like me, and I was like, I gotta beat this guy. I gotta be you know, <laughs> that's I want to be the next tiny bank, you know. So he was probably like the the guy that I just wanted, you know, tackle, you know. Yeah. So I don't know if it was the build uh, that was so similar with you guys or whatever, but I always thought of you and Donnie Banks kind of in a similar way. You know, when I thought about the history of the sport, like he was, he was kind of, you know, the bird man before you came, you know what I mean? <laughs> we actually, you know, actually got a couple little fights and he, we was at Redbud, and I went to, gosh, how this worked out. I, he, I think, I think it was about for second or third. Okay. I was right behind. I think it was Gus. He always kicked ass at Redbud. So I was going around. His finish line was still the same. Had a little hunt and he hit the tabletop. And I just got a flat on um, LaRocco's Leap. On okay. the front, front left tire. Okay. Got a flat. So now I'm making this right-handed turn. I can't steer. He's coming around me on the outside. I'm like, I didn't want him to come by me, but I didn't intentionally to knock the piss out of him. And he hits the fence and flips over the fence post. <laughs> so, oh, shoot. Needless to say, that was, I mean, it's a finish line. Mm-hmm. He comes across that finish line and never checks up. Bam, hits me in the ass. And I fall off the bike. I get up. I smack him. He gets off. They separate us. I'm like, and then he was riding for Lauren Duncan at the time. Okay. <laughs> I, I went to his trailer, rolled my full rope in his trailer. They pulled us apart again. I'm like, what? And that was my hero. Well, I was pissed off at him. <laughs> but right, yep. we all settled it. We, I mean, we're friends now. But, you know, it's just, mm-hmm. boy, just, you know, a little racing bug you know a little fuse on top of your head when you race the boy just set me off when he did i mean he was pissed off too <laughs> oh yeah that that adrenaline in the moment it doesn't matter who it is um doesn't matter who it is uh, you know when that when the adrenaline's flowing uh especially when you're talking about being up front in the pro class and uh and stuff like that there's just uh you know i i feel like anything is fair game at that point well that, that's right you know when you put the helmet on i don't want to be all these guys buddies and i got a few of them that I'd, I'd hang out with but Mm-hmm. I didn't give a shit about him. I mean, I hate to be that way, but that's where a dirty bird comes from. I mean, you, I, yep. you're cutting, taking money in my pocket, dude. <laughs> you're, mm-hmm. We need friends when we retire. You know, yes. Not now. Yeah. So, um, again, like I was never, I mean, obviously I was never Joe bird. Right. But, um, even in my mind, like I've always been this way. It didn't matter if we were playing football in the yard when I was a kid, or if we were playing video games or, or then, you know, obviously racing, but I felt like I needed to have some kind of small animosity towards whoever I was competing against. That's just how I am. Um, because I, I'd have a difficult time being buddy, buddy with somebody and then having to go like, you know, willing to do anything to go beat them on the racetrack. I'm just not built that way. And it sounds like kind of you're the same way. Well, yeah, you watched your Rocky, you know, two, three and four movies. You know, right. he had the posters on the wall, Mr. T and Ivan Drago and all these guys. You mm-hmm. go home, it's 95 to 100 degrees outside. You're tired, you're hungry, all your buddies are going out. You can have a reason to go out and ride and train and, and eat and breathe this stuff. And that guy that's pissing you off, that's your reason. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, yes. I mean, I, I'm sure it was the same for you. It was the same for me. So many, uh, so many countless days and hours spent in the gym and in the shop. And then, you know, obviously at the practice track thinking about whoever you're racing against at the time, but, uh, yeah, so let's get back to the story. I mean, the, um, you, you get your first national event pro win in 95 and uh, you're still a decade away from your first title. So I want to cover kind of that span of time and have you fill some blanks for me. Uh, one of the things I wanted to, uh, to at least ask about was at what point the, the Joe Bird Riding School became a huge part of your racing program. 
Okay, so we'll do the school thing first. I started at 93, I believe it was. And okay. in the late 90s, I started making money at it. You know, actually, because, oh, my God, I can buy, I can pay my car payment. You know, I just bought my dad's house. You know, I'm like, I think it was, uh, yeah, 90. So about three or four years there, <clears throat> I think my first ride was goes like 65 bucks, okay. four or five hours long. Watch me do this. I had like five guys, yep. you know. Yep. And then it goes up to, you know, my private lessons are 800 bucks a day. You know, I'll get, you know used to get when it was big, I'd, I'd get 250 a year. You know, it's like making rock star money just in riding schools. Mm-hmm. When the sport died a few years back, so did obviously that. And, you know, at the time, I'd taught almost everybody at the racetrack, it seems like. So, and then I retired, so it all kind of meddled down. And we being a wife, were like, well, the, you know, I still do them. But I've got some coming up this next month, but, okay. you know, I'm not pushing it as hard. But that's um, that's always been good for me. And I always enjoy doing that because I'm always trying to learn from somebody else. And, I, you know, I like teaching people the right way before they screw up and spend their own money and do it the wrong way. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in its day, I mean, there was nothing like the Joburg riding school. You had, uh, you had that market covered. Yeah. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I was a winning rider and you know, I, I thought I did a really, really good school, really thorough school, you know, with the mm-hmm. first thing we did was bike set up and yep. you know, I, I thought I'd go over everything. And of course my first, gosh, five, six, seven years. Now I'll look back on it. This is a joke compared to what it is now, you know, cause now I got, regular schools i got advanced schools i got group lessons i got private lessons you know and i got people come for two weeks at a time it's just it's really involved and of course 15 20 years ago i thought i knew what i was doing right <laughs> now, well, well know, times have changed team, yeah. you know Yep. Times have changed so much. Uh, I remember, I remembered literally word for word, you saying that at the beginning, I didn't really know how to teach. It was just, Hey, watch what I'm doing and then go do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pick on, but that's what Doug Gus does now. <laughs> <laughs> no, he ain't doing me anymore, but yeah, I picked him here mm-hmm. a lot of times. I'd beat one of his riding school, just training when he had a private lesson. That's what he was doing. Like yep. really? And so I, you know, we talked and worked, and he's, of course, before he quit doing it, he was way better, of course. But, yeah, he would – I'd laugh at him about him saying and doing that. But Yeah, he's just a he's just a good old boy. Yep, yep. So, going back to your, your other question, from 95, 96 to 06, you know, I started – okay, so the two-stroke days, I was – like I said, I was good, maybe almost a great racer, but I, I could never get a whole shot. That was okay. a big, big problem. Even that year at Lens, I didn't pull a whole shot. I, you know, I chased everybody down. I was in so much better shape. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, was, I was Chad winning everybody, you know? Yep. And so, I guess, oh, not, oh 96. Okay, 95, I was winning. Ready? I won angel races between 95, 96. I mean, I'm ready. I'm, I'm going to do it this year. So, okay. I come out in 96, and I'm in a points lead. Me and Doug, me and Doug, me and Doug Gus. You know, we're batting back and forth. And I would go to Muddy Creek. Tracks turn around backwards. And Doug had tried this big double across the track. Nobody had tried. And well, maybe a couple guys had tried it, but I, there was one jump that nobody had tried right next to the announcer's tower. And I'm like, I can do it. I got to go do it. I got to have an advantage on it. Well, they didn't make it. My bike looped out, you know, the big old jump. Okay. And it lands. I pushed away. I never jumped away from the bike, but I pushed away from the bike and the bike clipped the top of the jump on its grab on straight up and down vertical. And I didn't make it that far. I went face first into the jump. Like you seen Chad Reed do when he catapulted at sure. uh, the Millville. Similar thing, but I landed, I landed in the face of the jump. Oh my gosh. And th- that yeah. was, and that so, was this is the this this is the bad injury that we that we hear about, right? This is it. Yeah. So that's what I, thought. I, I instantly try to jump up. You know, when you're at the beach and you got your sandals on, your little flip-flops, and you get them wet, you kind of walk around, your heel slides off the bottom of it, and you kind of keep walking, you know. 
Right. That's what it felt like. I stood sure. up real quick. Oh, and I'm like, my gosh. I just felt my ankles, my heels roll up into my ankle joints. I'm like, oh, and I, of course I fell right back down. And old TC, Tom Crossman came and picked me up, threw me in a truck, we hauled ass. And as I was getting to the airport, my right one had been messed up so bad. I'm looking at my dad going, oh, oh, oh no, I got, my other one's hurting. <laughs> so they took both my boots off. And I get in there and it hurt so bad. I, and I've since then, I broke my back, my neck, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. ribs nine times, shoulders, collarbones, legs, toes, you know, nose, skull. That's the worst one. You know, it sounds funny, but <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story. You might, might want to bleep this one out. But he, and my dad goes, give us pain medicine. Give us pain medicine. I said, Dad, it might, <laughs> my ankles hurt so bad. If you could cut my penis off so I can go away, I'd say rip it off. <laughs> it <hurts> so <laughs> bad. And they, they say that that's a nasty injury. So well, I, what happens was I shattered both my ankles and my heels in like four or five spots. So it rolled up into it. The yep. doctor that uh, the surgeon that did my knees, he was a specialist. He did, it was, he did Jimmy Carter surgery. He, he oh, said, wow. son, you're never, you won't ever race again. You sure won't walk on a roof or do any kind of running. So that was 96. So 97, I was still trying to make my comeback. Sure. Yep. And I think I had got maybe, I think I got some heat races or something, but I still, I just wasn't still 100. I couldn't train right. Sure. 98 yeah. without, you know, I don't want to bash sponsors too much, but I got with, I don't even want to say the name, but I got with a sponsor that was supposed to take my bike to all the races and build all my stuff and free ride, you know, like all these other guys, you know, Far mm-hmm. and Gus, these guys were getting now. Okay. And they were party animals. So I show up to race. Either the bike wouldn't be there or the bike was still dirty from the race before. I'm like, oh, great. So that year was a flop. Didn't do anything that year. I didn't even win a heat race. Didn't win nothing. Okay. So that was, a lo- that, was, that was the lost year there. Okay. And that was 98. So 99, I get with another program that was better, but he ran out of money. So then I had to finish that series. And <clears throat> I think I got hurt in 2000. I stole my two-stroke. I hit this jump practicing. The needle clip breaks in my carburetor. That little five-cent needle clip. You probably remember those. You got the needle, mm-hmm. the little clips on there. Yep, and sure. I, actually, I actually would ride with two of them on there. Well, I land off a big jump. Five feet later, was another real high-speed jump. So you go like, burr, burr, you know, you didn't need to go boom, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's what it did. I'm doing probably 40-mile iron thing oh. in those on me. I land arm first. My tore my rotator cuff, tore dislocated anterior dislocated my shoulder not like a baseball player but it went backwards and i could see my whole shoulder socket out of the side of my eye oh my god so <laughs> that was another really bad one that took me it took me six months for a ride after that oh my gosh so, so but but throughout this you you never waver i mean you're sticking with the racing thing or did it ever get still going back racing i'm you know okay. i'm hustling you know all the <clears throat> the guys that would give me the free parts or I, I'd have enough to build a free bike or maybe two bikes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd hustle and try to sell those. And, uh, you know, kind of, and at the end of the season, at the time I thought, well, I got extra wheels. I got maybe, you know, never use stuff. I might have a couple of used, I don't know, filters or something. I'd sell those things and try to make yep. enough money to build a bike for next year. Well, sure. that's a no-no. You don't do that. No. <laughs> so again, I'm young kid. I'm like trying to see that or you don't go racing for me. So, mm-hmm. and finally we got to, um, we got to, I got better, I, got, I finally picked up some better sponsors in 2002, 2003, and my two-stroke game was on point, and mm-hmm. then they started making four-strokes, these hybrid four-strokes, so you remember, then we got the, the YFC, 
Oh, yep. like 426 or 416 or some weird yep. number. Yep. 426. Yep. I remember yep. I can picture that bike of yours perfectly. And you touched on it a minute ago, but that was a question I had that seemingly you had, you know, the most success of your career when things turned over to the four stroke. And I wondered if there was a correlation there or if it was just uh, simply a coincidence. I'm a big boy. I'm, you know, and that makes sense. Two- Yep. You know, every seven pounds of horsepower, when you only got 35 horsepower on these two strokes, now we're going up to, you know, 55, 60 horsepower on these nice, big old four strokes. Yep. Well, that seven pounds don't make as much difference. Matter of fact, you know, Hector can't handle that 70 horsepower or 65 horsepower bike like I can. He right. probably pulled a whole shot on me. But when I were out there battling around, down my weight almost came to an advantage. Coming out of the turns and the whole shot, it was still a disadvantage, but nowhere like it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so and that, we, that makes so much sense. Yeah, so um, the, the only other negative uh, point, or I guess disadvantage I was having was being taller. You know, if only in the whoops is that a better, or maybe if you clip a jump, you got right. your, your butt, you know, it's not as going to hit the seat as bad. Yeah, I got but more range. Leverage, you know, I'm, I'm 230, six foot five, and I'll hang off the back of this thing. Now I got, I got my shocks got to be so much stiffer, and right. it, but it can't be stiffer than a little stuff. You know, you got to go through all the bumps, the medium bumps. But you can't G out. You're going to, you're going to bottom and buck and you're going to blow your bumper and you're going to be over the bar. So mm-hmm. that was always a problem with my shot guys. Okay. Yeah. And that, that, that too makes sense. Um, but yeah, yeah, now we're, now we're kind of getting up to the, you know, the, the more new generation stuff. Now you're racing four strokes. I mean, now you're, um, when you're creeping up on, you know, 2003, four, five, six, uh, that's, that's when you, you know, went on your run of four consecutive Loretta's, uh, you know, wins there, um, four consecutive years, uh, before we pass by that, I wanted to ask, you know, what was it about Loretta's that made you so dominant there? Well, it, you know, it, at one time it was a, a technical track and my track at home was technical at the time. And mm-hmm. I built it real similar to Ten Commandments, the tabletops, the, you know, the camelbacks. And it was very similar. And I knew that was hope that, you know, of course we couldn't practice. There wasn't no more I hold track than it was yours, but right. the heat, I trained in that 9,500 degree temperature all summer. And when I'd get to that race, it would finally pay off. You know, Doug, matter of fact, Doug, Doug, Doug Gus and John Talley used to come to my house after I started winning all those races down there. I'm like, we got to train with you. You know, it's just, we're not acclimated. You can't get acclimated in a week. No, you can't. That humidity is so nasty. And then, you know, just the confidence. I, when I went there, I knew I was going to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless it rained. <laughs> I said, yep. you know, so I'm walking the track. I'm picking out my lines. I'm just, I just, just cocky. You know, just, I just knew I had what I was going to win before the gate sale. And mm-hmm. that helps a lot. That 33% came in right there. Yeah, that that's that uh, again. It makes so much sense. I just I automatically always just assumed, hey, it's just like home for him. It's just like home. And yep. uh, you know, if you had a if you had a if you had a race at your practice track, you're gonna win that thing just like you did Loretta's. Um, and and again, too, as we get closer to you know the the title years for you, um, at what point did Honda get involved, and how did that all come about? Because you were, right, so you were we'll riding. You were riding Lost Lost Creek Cycle, right? And then, um, so t- I guess t- take me through all of that. All right. Well, first of all, I never rode for Kevin at Lost Creek. You know, he was an interesting guy. I rode for um, David East Coast ATV. Oh, East Coast. Okay. Yes, I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, so I, that's where the, I I met him, and he goes, "Man, I, he had plenty of parts and pretty good pocketbook there." And he, he actually that helped him. I, I was his first race, so this was 2000. One, I was 2001, 2002, maybe 2000, started with him 2000. So he gave me the better, the good bike. Now I have the roll axis bikes. You know, I had the good stuff again. You know, that stuff had been tried and true. 
I actually had a practice bike and a race bike just to like. I'm like, oh, now I'm now I'm getting back. You know, my fit, my fitness is back. And then they they bring these four strokes out, and I rode one for the first time. I'm like, oh hell, this I gotta have this, <laughs> you know, because they're just so much more torquey for a big boy like me. Yep, that's what I need. But the problem was, you know, you had this junky ass four twenty six. I think it started with a four sixteen. These things were garbage. You gotta you know, you got to hold your head just right and pray to God and kick, kick or strike, get top dead center, start it. So if you mm-hmm. ever crash in a race, that thing ain't ever start. So, no. and I hated the thing, handled like garbage. But East Coast, we got to get on this four stroke. I got to get on this four stroke. So we did. And then lo and behold, I, I finally get on a Walsh CRF 450, the Honda engine. Now we got something here. Well, now I'm like, <clears throat> that was a good bike. I got off this Yamaha, which no nothing against them today but it wasn't a yamaha it was just a yamaha engine right <laughs> so absolutely yep the first the first geometry was just garbage i mean i think the 40x handled better mm-hmm. so we get on this wash 250r geometry with a crf 450 engine like oh my god sign me up i need five of these you know and me and doug were in florida all the guys come down and test with us well i've won a few races that year and definitely some heat races and me and jeremiah jones are battling for the championship i'm like i'm here i am i'm back in the championship hunt again after eight nine years whatever it's been i'm like hey screw this one up you know and we go i had a couple dnfs i believe and let's put him right into you know points championship with me and i think uh was it uh, red landry bowling green i can't remember um i won the race and we're tied for points or did i have a one point lead i think i think i had a one point lead i think when we go to massachusetts 2003 i went in with a one point lead and he was always still in that he had that LRD aluminum frame two DR. He was still getting whole shots or get top three. And you know, you had your Lubergs and Doug Doug Gus, all these guys that always got whole shots are still getting get me off the start, you know. Okay. Because the engine was okay. It was basically a stock engine just cleaned up. We didn't know how to do them just back then. Right. And yeah. So I go into the race and I'm I'm telling my guys, I'm telling Tom Carlson was my, my mechanic and, and uh, well not necessarily a mechanic, but he was my engine builder. I'm like, man, I I can't come out eighth ninth place like i've been doing all year i don't i, I think i came out seventh race closest i came to you know whole shot he goes what are you gonna do I, was like, I gotta do a second year start i gotta try something because if jeremiah pulls a whole shot i'm ready but i don't know that i can chase him down i can i get second or third but that's gonna be hard to come back you know ain't like it is today you got two guys that can win back then you heck from the early 2000s so gosh 2011 you had 10 guys that can win absolutely yep so, so I, I said i gotta do a second year start well he goes, okay, just light the tires up. And that's, and I'll, I'll tell you that story again. I'm going, I tested for Dunlop, best tire company ever in the history of AT racing. When they came into the thing, I'd pull a whole lot of whole shots, but you just don't do that. People still do it. They light up because we don't have too many concrete starts more, but they'd light up tires and just Corey Ellis was the world's worst. I'd just make them smoke. Well, we did that back then and it didn't help. Well, it is burn your damn tires up. Right. And it got them so hot. Whenever I, I dumped the clutch, I stalled the engine. Are oh, you? You kidding me right now? I guess who pulls a whole shot? Jeremiah Jones pulls a whole shot. The last place guy was already up the first turn, almost to the second turn before I got that damn hot, <laughs> that engine started because they didn't have hot oh. starts on them back then. Right. And I'm in dead last place, like eight seconds behind the, you know, the last place guy. I think I still came back, got second or third in that race, but guess what? I lost the championship again, like three or four points. Oh, I was just so sick of myself. So that was 03, 04. We went, they dated production rules. You had to raise a production bike. Nobody's mm-hmm. racing. These hybrids no more. No well, hybrids, the only thing yep. you could get was the Yamaha or the Z400 Suzuki. And, and um, Tim Farr has the only one of the Honda contract. And okay. so at Glen Helen in 04, there was Doug Gus on a Z400, Tim Farr on a barely out of the box TRX 450R, 
Everybody yep. else is doing Yamahas. And yep. for me, I don't know if you remember that 04 Yamaha. It's nothing like the Yamaha today is. Well, no. no <laughs> you know, no. I'm, and, I, and like I said, I, I talked to Donnie Lucio today about getting a bike from a riding school. But that bike back then is like, I, I'm coming off this hybrid CRF Walsh chassis onto this thing here. <laughs> I raced that thing two races. As soon as I could get that Honda, I yep. got it. I started, I started doing good on it. They called me up. Hey, won't you meet us in Columbus, Ohio? We're going to be out there doing something. I ran up there and they made me an offer. I looked at it and I turned them down. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean, I was thinking, you know, cause me and McGrath were friends, me and Ricky Carmichael were friends. And you know, we talked and I'm alone with their getting, I'm like, I know this ain't dirt bike racing, but you know, give me a, a, a 10th or a 20th of what they're getting. You're yep. lucky we're offering you this boy. <laughs> Basically they were cocky. They, we ain't out. Oh. So I turned them down. I went home. I was madder in hell for like a week and a half, two weeks. And I got to thinking about it. I'm like, Ain't nobody else gonna offer me nothing. <laughs> so I called him back up like a little little kid going, Is that offer still there? <laughs> and I got my first factory Honda contract in 04. And then as soon as I signed that thing, every sponsor started calling. And I mean, you know, nobody ever had Alpine Star Boots as a sponsorship until then. Nobody had, we didn't even know what Dunlop tires were, except for you stock tires you get off the dealership. They'd call me up. They're offering, you know, these guys offering 50,000 here, 75,000 here. I'm like, holy crap, I, I couldn't get you to call me two years ago. Now you're offering all this kind of money. Sure, and and, like and being you got a, that factory contract, and so yep. the doors just went wide open for me then. And then every year, Honda would do exactly what they said, and even more. If I needed more parts, get you more parts. If I need another bike, get you another bike. If I was winning and doing good, yes, you know, of course, I got lucky. Oh, four all the way through 14, had a good 10 year run there doing well. And every year, they just kept giving me more and giving me more. And then getting these six figure contracts, I'm like, oh, I'm like a kid in a candy store, you know, look at this, look at this, you know, right? So so it's, it's funny though, because for so long, I mean, obviously we all knew that you had this great relationship with Honda, but to hear, to hear how it started, the fact that you got an offer and turned it down. Um, that's, that's pretty funny. Uh, so by the, and you kind of touched on this, so I want to go down this road while we're here. Um, you know, by the year 2006, you've, you've had some injuries, um, or, or, and it was probably even before 06, but that would have been, uh, you know, kind of when we finally, um, you know, you kind of finally get to the promised land, but the Joe Bird Riding School is thriving. Obviously now you're a factory Honda, you know, rider, um, at this point. And it seemed to me like you had mastered the art of running your race program as a business. Yeah. And, and, and with going with Honda, luckily it, it jailed out really well. Cause not too many guys do it. Like I did it. Like I'm doing it, but we mm-hmm. doing it. Um, yep. Uh, there's not really who was us. Uh, Natalie tried to start doing it towards the end, but nobody was doing it. You got your Wimmers and and um, uh, Gust and uh, who's Creamers uh, and you know Pat Browns and all these guys out there. Jeremy Lawson, they wanted a contract, wanted a salary, wanted bonuses, and want to be able to fly to the race in their duffel bag and show up in eighteen wheelers there. Well, mm-hmm. Suzuki did that, Kawasaki did that. You know, Can-Am had two, three teams doing it, and it was great, easy for them. All they had to do is ride, train, eat, sleep. But guess what? They were only making two hundred fifty to three hundred fifty thousand without bonuses. I was making fifty nine hundred seventy thousand dollars, so I was like four times the money they were making. Right. I mean, but, the upside was way higher the way that you're doing it, and the way that that way that Chad went on to do it. Then years later, right. but you two were the only ones that I could think of off the top of my head that really went about your business that way. And it's and it's you know I'm looking at it going okay I can make a little bit. Easy, easy road or make a lot and do a lot of work. You know, I hired the, the, the driver. Actually, I was the driver, so I started flying. I hired okay. the mechanics. I hired, you know, the guys at Custom Access and, and paid those guys to come do everything. Of course, sponsors would reimburse me, but I hired 
all of the right guys, all the right tuners. We'd rent all the right tracks because I knew what the, I knew what Suzuki was doing. I knew what mm-hmm. Kawasaki was doing. Well, I can do that. I don't need Jimmy White telling me how to do it or Wayne Henson telling me how to do it or Donnie right. Loose telling me how to do it. I mean, I've been doing it as long as they have. Well, they're going to yep. keep you know, tell me. No disrespect right. to none of those guys, but I knew how to do that, and I can mm-hmm. keep 75% of the money. So that, And I told Doug Gus this after his second or third year with Suzuki making – you know, he's doing good money, but he went – him and Wimmer did a Suzuki commercial – and they had a Suzuki toy, man, a little, little electric folder they had that said Doug Gus on number 55. Yep. Well, they didn't make anything out of that. They'd be gone two or three weeks at a time, and they had to do that because they already had a factory contract. They'd get their factory salary and their bonuses and their bikes and parts. They didn't even, they didn't own those bikes and parts. Honda would give me 10, 12 bikes a year. I'd own all the machines. Do the math. Well, I'm selling them for 18, 20 grand a pop back then. Plus, I get my big salary and my big bonuses and, and, when I went out, me and Jeremy, I got called to do a Honda Power Dreams commercial back in 08, I believe it was. Okay. They sent me a brand new bike, called all my sponsors, paid for all the sparks, said that if you'll build this bike, bring it out to uh, Southern California, we're going to take you to the Honda test track with Jeremy McGrath. We're going to do a couple laps with each other. And the commercial, all it was, was me kickstarting the four-wheeler. My Alpine Star Boots kicked it, boom, it started. Jeremy's dirt bike kicked it, boom, it started. The next thing you saw was a generator. The next thing you saw was the IndyCar. The next thing you saw was the Civic. They paid me $85,000 for that day and a half. I'm like, I need more than that. I need more. And that was that was over and beyond my Honda contract. I mean, gosh. I mean, the guys already make that much. I don't know if Hetrick makes that much money right now. I know Thomas Brown didn't because he had to retire, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's so uh, that's so funny. I, more of us need to get on that program. Everybody but Joe Bird needed to get on that program, kick the bike for that kind of money. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't happen to more of them. Right, <laughs> no, no. But I that know. was, man, it was just, it was just a dream come true. Worked my ass off, got hurt, almost killed myself a few times. Just, you yep. know, just injury after injury. And, you know, I paid my dues. And, you know, these guys today, I did it for 33 years. And I did almost professionally for 33 years and just went through the, the bottom of the barrel all the way up to the top. My, my mom and dad wasn't rich. We had a, he worked at a factory. My mom was, you know, we, they worked their ass off, both of them did. But mm-hmm. we wouldn't, we didn't have the silver spoon in our mouth like some of these racers do. Well, and usually those, those racers don't make it because they they're too spoiled, you know, well, that, so that, that's exactly out for me. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go is, I mean, that background is the reason why you were so successful. You know, you kept getting knocked down um, and getting back up and, you know, still keep climbing, keep climbing, keep climbing until you got to the top of the mountain um, because of the way that you were raised, because of what you came from, because it wasn't easy. Um, so I guess when we, when we start to talk about getting to the top of the mountain, let's talk about that because the, the 2006 season uh, was one of the most legendary seasons I think I can ever remember, maybe in part because of the way that Wes Miller and the, the National Born Killers film covered that season. But, but man, it was uh, uh, it was so stacked right between oh, yeah. you know yourself doug gust keith little um jeremiah jones john natale dustin wimmer pat brown joe havisto you know travis spader the list goes on harold good yeah, and we, we knew he was still back there then he was still he, he was winning he back sure then, was six seven eight you know so yep he sure was i mean tavis kane obviously like you said uh chad weenan and you know, Luberg, who you brought up earlier, Dunk, Lawson, Ellis, uh, Timmy Farr. I mean, the, the list goes on. Everybody was there. So you come out yeah. um, and, and win the first two races at Glen Helen and Oak Hill. And, uh, you know, I mean, were you thinking like, hey, this is the year? This is, this is, yeah, this is the I year I'm going to do yep. this thing? Okay. Um, yeah, be, be, I just got my Honda contract. And they, they in the 06, I had a, I don't know, like 10-year contracts with Honda, but my old six, seven, and eight, nine contracts were like really lucrative, really okay. bonus-driven. I'm like, 
this is my time. You know, <laughs> I was, she was my 34, 35, you know, that, that age group. And I'm like, okay. this is my time to make my retirement. I'm, you know, and I, you know, you, you ain't coming by me without a fight. <laughs> you know, you take this money out of my pocket. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, those were really good years. I mean, I was making, you know, between the year 30 to 35 grand a weekend to win, 15 for second, like five for third, and like 400 bucks for fourth. So, okay. when I'm in first place and I see, you know, let's say it's Hetrick and he winning and then Doug Gus in fourth, I mean, you're going to have to run me off the track or, or something's going to have to happen for you to get by me. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I might never try to hurt nobody, never try mm-hmm. to take anybody out. You know, I, I don't want to hurt anybody like that, you know? So, mm-hmm. but. That's that's business, you know. That's and, when, and same thing when I'm in fourth place and I see Weenan and Hetrick and Doug Gus or Wimmer, whoever's in front of me, I'm like, that's money. That's a big difference in first place to fourth place back then. <laughs> so, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, for so. sure. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, the way that you started that season, uh, and I, and I guess, um, I want to make sure that listeners remember because in 2005, John Natale was dominant to the tune of, you know, winning eight national events and route to his first title. Um, so he obviously came in slated as the favorite and you come out and you set the tone right away for the rest of the season and the rest was history. But yeah, I had to, had to ask you, you know, after you win those first two races, um, you had to feel like like, Hey, this is mine. 2006 is going to yep. be my year. Finally. Well, that was the year I had John Talley's like the biggest poster I had on my dartboard. You know what I mean? I couldn't stand that guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, just was, I just didn't spit him. He was on fire, you know, and I just trained extra hard that winter and he was ready, you know, we, but he had those Fox shocks back then that nobody had. And he just kicked everybody's ass in 05. And that, that was the competitive edge. I'm going, Oh, hell no, no. I got this big contract. You ain't taking that again for me this year. I'm, I'm going to get that <laughs> Honda country. You know, I knew they were, they, they're going to have five guys on the team. They're just going to have a Honda. There's one or two guys, maybe three. And I, I was trying, I wanted his money, <laughs> you know, and he, right. was, he was my dartboard, him and a few other guys. And we were, you know, just arch rivals from the, gosh, probably early 90s, like I said, on 500 and Banshees. So he landed on my ass at Texas one year, just being an idiot. And then until I just, when he got on his Can Am, he lost his attitude. And he also sucked for a few years, but he also started winning in 11 and 12. And, but we stayed buddies after, you know, he calmed down, I, I calmed down. And now we're, I text him here the other day, you know, now we're buddies, you know, me and Doug, mm-hmm. you know, same thing, some of those guys, but you can't be friends with the white race, you know? Right. So I remember one race and Gatorback, I tried to go around him on the outside. He came in, just knocked the piss out of me, run me off the track and ran over the hay belt. I'm mad at hell now. I couldn't catch him at two laps to go, but that same year, I, I knocked him off the track. I think it was on National Born Killers. I came into a pass at Muddy Creek. I had the line. He kind of had the line. It was kind of like a gray area. I knocked a piss out of him. He flipped sideways at like 20 mile an hour, tucks and rolls, comes up from the somersault over the ground. The bike flipped over top of him, flipped me off. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. I, I, I didn't know it at the time. I, I actually slowed down and looked. I was like, is he pissed? If he's flipping <laughs> me off, oh, I'm going to roost his ass. We're still sitting there next lap. <laughs> and then I saw it on the video. I'm like, that sucker just flipped me off. Now I'm stating it even more, you know? <laughs> so, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, um, yeah, you're exactly right. It's hard to, it's just impossible to be friendly with, with guys that especially, you know, when you're racing for your livelihood, you're racing for, you know, for, like you said, your retirement. I mean, it's all bets are off at that point, but, uh, yeah, I mean, talking about that 2006 season, you were super consistent 
consistent. Um, you know, your only win other than those first two rounds was your fourth consecutive Loretta Lynn's victory, but you finished on the podium 10 of the 14 rounds and man, you kind of ended up needing every one of those points, um, you know, because you ended up with the title by just uh, by six points over your buddy, Doug Gus there. Yeah, I had a few stupid things happen to me, and, and Honda was really adamant about this. They'd rather see you get second, third, or fourth than to see a red bike on the side of the track. You know, they're giving me thousands and thousands of free parts and bikes and all this stuff, and we had a, a, a brand-new CDI go out and a, okay. a brand-new crank go out. We were out through that. You know, I'd come out of the gravity cavity at, at the Unidella, boom, and I see a big cloud. almost went over the bars. It was so abrupt, and I had a rod sticking out of the motor. Brand-new. That's just – I mean, it's just shithouse luck, and then – one race, the um, head pipe breaks. This was, I had a switched over. Dan was building the Yoshimir pipes at the time. Nobody knew that, but that's why <laughs> in 07, he started building his own pipe. So sure. we had a pipe break. And then uh, at, just like Weenan did, I think last year, at the bottom of the miles wall at Redbud, I broke the chain. I hit those stupid rocks. We put brand new chains on every motor. We go out and practice to qualify, new mm -hmm. chain, first motor, new chain, second motor. So we did all the work. But sometimes that's just racing. You have shithouse luck. You know, it was just something dumb happened, you know? so Just just a fluke deal, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's always shoulda, coulda, would. I shoulda won by 25 points each year. But, you know, I just if that you, you can't even say that because that's, that's racing, you know? And the same thing with my 2008 and nine season. I had the same thing. I had a pipe break. had a CDI go out. I had uh, a flat. And then and then stupid creamer hit me. You know, he ran <laughs> over me at the, the Pennsylvania race. Uh -huh. Dumbass. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That yeah, cost yeah. me. That cost me that championship and over $100,000. Oh, I believe it. Yeah, so we'll get into that. We'll get right back to the show, but now a word from our sponsors. And thank you for listening to these ads. Without these great companies, none of this would be possible. Show your support for the people who support us. Welcome to the team, two-time champ Joel Hetrick, who dropped the biggest news of the offseason when he announced his move to CST Tires. The CST takeover has been gaining momentum over the past several seasons, and now Joel Hetrick and his Phoenix Racing teammate Jeffrey Rastrelli are the most recent additions. The Pulse MXR tire has helped lead riders like Thomas Brown to race wins in three consecutive Quad Cross of Nations titles, Nick Janusa to the Pro Class podium, myself Cody Jansen as I rode my Pulse MXR fronts and white label soft compound rears to back-to-back -back national championships in the Junior 25 Plus class, and the most recent additions have us thinking a Pro Class national championship is on the horizon for CST tires. The Pulse MXR tire, available in soft and standard compounds, offers the highest level of traction, most predictable cornering, and superior wear characteristics when compared to the competition. Visit shop.csttires.com to join the CST takeover today, or prepare to be beat by someone who did. Joel Hetrick, Jeffrey Rastrelli, Nick Janusa, myself, and so many others are believers in CST tires. Are you? CST Tires, where passion meets the ground. You already know we're Team Blue Crew here at the Digging Deep ATV MX podcast. Whether it's second all-time winningest, seven-time and reigning ATV MX Pro Class National Champion Chad Weenan, or six-time and current XC1 Pro ATV GNCC National Champion Walker Fowler, it's clear the podium-proven Yamaha YFC 450R is the winning choice of sport ATVs. This unprecedented success for the YFC 450R, its unrivaled quality and performance, and the undeniable fact that Yamaha is the leading OEM supporter of ATV racing has created a Yamaha takeover within the sport quad market. 
Better yet, Yamaha's Blue Crew Racer Support Program is back and even stronger for 2021, meaning Yamaha riders are about to cash in on higher payouts and more prize opportunities, including a chance to win a brand new YFZ450R. For more info, head over to YamahaBlueCrew.com, follow them on social media at Yamaha Outdoors, and check out Yamaha's full proven off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com today. For over 150 years, Valvoline has led the charge by being dedicated to constant improvement and innovation across all disciplines of racing. Valvoline has sponsored some of the greatest names in motorsports, and for the better part of a decade, I've been fortunate enough to be part of the historically great Team Valvoline. From my commuting vehicles to small engines, race quads, and everything in between, I trust nothing but Valvoline in all of my equipment. I've experienced increased function and durability as well as a longer life expectancy thanks to Valvoline's array of products and lubricants. Since 1866, Valvoline has been focused on bettering your experience, whether on road, on track, and everywhere in between. Upgrade to Valvoline today and check them out at valvoline.com. SSI decals is a name synonymous with ATV racing, synonymous with big time success, and absolutely synonymous with the best looking decals around. An offshoot of their parent company that was established in 1947, SSI first took shape from owner Ian Harris's passion for ATVs. With what started as just making numbers and decals for riders like Chad Wienan, the company quickly took off, and today you couldn't imagine ATV motocross without SSI decals. The graphics maker and designer now supports all the top teams in ATV motocross as well as teams and riders racing GNCC, Work Series, Pro Motocross and Supercross, Canadian Pro Motocross, Short Course Off-Road Trucks, UTVs, Snowcross, and oh yeah, six-time NHRA World Champion Clay Milliken. No project is too big or too small for SSI decals, making your identity stick with championship level graphics. Head over to SSIDecals.com today and then maybe call the doctor because things are about to get sick. The Digging Deep ATV MX podcast is brought to you in part by DID in their range of championship winning chains. Powered by technology, DID chains are designed to give you the greatest strength to weight ratio, making them the optimal chain for racing and giving you a championship level edge. DID has been driving championship winning race programs since 1933, chosen by champions such as Chad Wienan, Joel Hetrick, and myself, Cody Jansen. Champion above the rest is DID's 520 ATV2 chain, with those same design principles and materials being used throughout their entire line of products, including their on-road category as well. Pick up a DID chain today at your local dealer or reputable online e-tailer. DID what drives you. We are proud to be partnered with Numira Technologies. Since 2001, Numira has led the charge in the ATV and side-by-side -side market, covering more applications than anyone else in the industry. Numira's advanced piston technology uses a NASA-exclusive aluminum alloy that helps to reduce expansion rates, that allows for tighter tolerances, and leads to higher overall engine performance for your machine. For more information about Numira's wide offerings of pistons, rings, gaskets, and industry-leading top-end repair kits, Visit your local dealer or online at www.numira.com. Numira Technologies, pistons with an attitude. We are pleased to be partnered with Bronco ATV and UTV components. Bronco has been an industry leader in replacement hard parts and accessories for all makes and models for over 15 years. With a catalog that includes a full line of electrical components, engine internals like rods and cylinders, all the way down to suspension parts and bearing kits. Bronco is your hard part source for whatever you need for whatever you ride. Available exclusively through distributors around the world. Visit your local dealer or online at broncoatv.com. 
4Works Carbon's innovative lightweight products include top-notch seat covers, carbon fiber, and plastic hoods, gas tank covers, exhaust shields, shock guards, and much more. Whether you have an ATV, UTV, or snowmobile, 4Works has the goodies that will improve your ride and make you salivate. We trust 4Works for increased function and a sexier look, and you should too. 4Works Carbon, always working hard to bring high quality and innovative parts to the market. Check them out today at fwcarbon.com. The Digging Deep ATVMX podcast is also sponsored by DP Brakes, a longtime supporter of ATV racing and the world leader in centered brake technology. DP has been dominating the ATV world for decades, supporting the best four-wheeled racers on the planet. 2021's impressive lineup includes Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rastrelli of the Phoenix Racing Team, myself, Cody Jansen, and my back-to-back national championships, Baldwin Motorsports, Ford Brothers Racing, Nick Janusa, Wesley Wolf, and many more, including all of the top 14 GNCC Series pros, led by the champ Walker Fowler, Bryson Neal, Cole Richardson, Jared McClure, and Chris Borich. These top riders continue to appreciate the high performance and impressive durability that their DP brakes have to offer, products that ultimately help place them on the top of the podium. Available at www.dp-brakes.com, purchase at your local dealer, or message the show for their contact info today. What are you waiting for? Join the best ATV riders in the world on DP Brakes. 15 years into the brand's existence, Factory 43 is back with us and continuing to make huge waves in the ATV world. For the second consecutive season, Factory 43 is the official aluminum parts choice of the Phoenix Racing ATV team providing their state-of-the-art Evo Nerf bars, MX-style front bumpers, and grab bars for some of the fastest riders on the planet. If you're in the market to upgrade your Nerf bars, bumpers, or grab bars, head over to factory43atv.com to see their full line of products available for all makes and models. Want to be just like Joel Hetrick and Jeffrey Rastrelli riding with Factory 43's industry-leading products? Head over to factory43atv.com today. Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC has been supplying riders with aftermarket components from the industry's top brands for over a decade. With over 80,000 products in stock for your ATVs, UTVs, metric and HD motorcycles, dirt bikes, and snowmobiles, Bikes, Trikes, and Quads LLC can tend to all your power sports needs from hard parts to riding gear. Bike Strikes and Quads also offers hard-to-find used parts for your vintage dirt bike, ATV, three-wheeler, or snowmobile. Use discount code ATVMX at www.btqllc.com for 10% off of orders of $100 or more. We're grateful to have Bike Strikes and Quads LLC digging deep with us. Thank you, BTQ LLC. We are proud to be partnered with Gripped Gloves. Gripped is an ATV rider owned and operated brand with a rider in mind and the goal of keeping costs affordable. The Michigan-based family operation recognizes riders' desire to showcase their identity. Owner David Payne's love for eccentric colorways and crazy patterns shows in his product something not often found in the work of big manufacturers. Here to push stereotypes and limitations, Grip's drive is to produce a glove with cool colors and designs that won't break the bank. With comfort and quality as key motivators, the family affair is constantly working on the next more innovative and improved glove. Get a grip on life, join the Gripped movement, because no one wants a bland glove. Check them out today at grippedgloves.com, that's G-R-I-P-T gloves.com, and use discount code DIGGINGDEEP10 to save at checkout. Just like the sport of ATV motocross as a whole, our Digging Deep community is brought together by the love for racing that we all share. 
Our sport is compiled of many great people, and leaving that charge is the Launderville family at Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. This racing-owned family business is a steel and concrete supplier serving the entire United States. Launderville Steel is a full-service steel supplier of new and surplus steel, aluminum, and stainless steel products headlined by the 4130 chromoly tubing and plate used in the building of chassis for ATVs and UTVs, off-road truck racing, late model dirt and pro tractor pulling series, drag racing, and more. Launderville Steel loves their racing just as much as we do, but don't forget about their concrete division as well. With over 25 years of experience, the concrete division can supply everything you need to complete your next business or personal project. Their central Midwest location enables LSE to easily serve customers across the United States. For a quote, additional info, answers to more of your questions, or to talk a little racing, head over to LaundervilleSteel.com or give them a call today. We are proud to be partnered with yet another racer-owned company. Thank you, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply. Thanks for listening, and remember to support our partners. Now back to the show. Now, obviously, I don't want to pass by. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, pass by. I'm getting excited here. Right. Well, I don't want to pass by 2006 because, um, you know, after so many years, you oh, finally, yeah. you finally got that title. And I have to believe that it was sweeter than if it would have came easier or earlier in your career to finally get it done. Yeah. I, you know, obviously I appreciate it way more once it finally happened. I tried so hard, but you know, there's mm -hmm. several reasons why it didn't happen. I told you the bad sponsor, the poor bikes didn't have the money to, to do everything like some of these other guys had, but when it finally happened, it was just everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you like what was different about that year, but uh, you know, it feels like the stars just finally aligned for you. And it well, was, that uh, you had, you know, you had a factory on the contract. You better be you got there riding and training. You had all the, basically all the money you needed and more. Mm -hmm. You'd have to worry about it. You didn't have to worry about, you know, when you're practicing, is this bike going to break? You know, like you didn't know two strokes. I had two strokes. I practiced with a silicone, holding a transmission case together, you know, because <laughs> they had the money to fix it. But right. we had all this yep. money in the backing. You don't worry about that stuff. You know, I, I would put only, I think it was 20 hours on a practice bike, two races on a race bike, and we'd, we'd get rid of them. You know, we'd have, and the race bikes would only have, you know, just the, the six motos, and we didn't practice on at home, and we'd put brand new clutches, brand new chains, brand new sprockets, brand new wheels and tires and bearings and pipes and Nerf bars, every race. So this mm -hmm. bike was almost brand new at the third race right and practice bikes we take those parts off put on the practice bikes and you know 20 hours ain't very much so we had everything new so i didn't you know worry about coming up to a like i had 15 years ago when that needle clip broke i didn't have to worry about that kind of stuff you know you had, you had all these brand new bikes so mm -hmm. the confidence was just through the roots you know Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, then you, you end up battling that season, you know, towards the end, obviously it became, you know, a battle between you and Doug. And I have to believe that that was pretty special because, you know, Doug's your buddy. Um, you know, maybe you guys weren't as close at the time. And I know that kind of the, the politics of Honda and Suzuki might've uh, separated you guys a little bit, the story goes, but uh, you know, I have to believe that it was special because you were two guys that were similar in your, you know, obviously, in your age and your spot in life and and uh you kind of got through all the dog days of atv racing and, and now you know the factories are involved there's big money going on and to be uh you two guys who are elder statesmen at that time battling for the title that had to be pretty special oh yeah for sure and, and you're right they actually had 
in Doug's contract. We couldn't practice or pretty much hang out with me or do anything anymore. I mean, I'm like, that, that really actually pissed me off. <laughs> so, but that was actually in the contract. I'm like, holy crap, I can't believe they put something like that in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember Doug telling that story. Um, and, you know, so, uh, you know, when we look kind of to the, to the second season then of your back to back, because in 2006, the ATVA, you know, pro class was stacked beyond belief, but then things looked, you know, a little different in 2007, when you come back to defend your title, a bunch of guys have uh, bolted for the WPSA series that summer. Um, I'm kind of thinking for you, it was an easy decision to remain at the ATVA events and, and defend your, your crown. Well, yeah. And to make it clear, they most everybody raced the first four rounds, I believe it was. Okay? Yeah, yep. and and I was still lead the points at those four rounds. So it ain't like mm -hmm. I had a, a free year of giving, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, yep. Lawson was a hell of a competitor that year, but they <laughs> Honda, it wasn't a choice that I made. Honda would not allow me to go to that series. I was like, no, that series won't be here in a few years. You won't even know, was it the WPD? Was it ADC? That you won't even know what that series is like. And they sure. were actually right. So now you have <clears throat> when you see that championship on the wall you know the, the real racers remember that but your average person goes what the hell is that is that a local series so but when you have right. national champion on your wall that still means something absolutely and so, that, that's, and that's what to doug and who i think I know he won one, maybe Natalie. I keep being Wimmer, but yeah, you know, Natalie, Natalie, and Doug won 06 and Natalie won 07. But yeah, I was assuming that Honda and your other sponsors, you know, wanted you to be um, at the national season because, um, you know, the AMA ATV national. <laughs> that was the first year uh, that the national series was AMA sanctioned in 2007, which was a big deal. So I'm assuming like there was, there was uh, you know, no decision to be made there. We're going, we're going to the nationals and that's it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yep. That's what they wanted to do. They, and they, you know, they, that's where they sent me that bike and I sent it. It's actually that bike that they sent me out there and I did that photo shoot with Jeremy McGrath. That bike is in the uh, museum in Japan in Honda's museum there right now. Oh, wow. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Um, but so obviously you had never considered doing the WPSA thing. Um, but you know, you nope. go on, you go on that season to successfully defend your title. You won, you know, six overalls that year, primarily battling, like you said, Jeremy Lawson, Pat Brown was in there. Those are obviously top, top, top tier guys. Um, what stands out about that, that second consecutive title then in 2007 uh versus you know 2006 which was your first one i'm sure that's special in its own way what do you remember about 2007 how many whole shots i pulled <laughs> because i think that was my first year with dunlop and okay. they did so much testing and they had such the badass tires they'd have heat sensitive rubber they had um steel belted radios i mean all this cool stuff that they only give me, right? So, and I was fortunate that they could do that. But just the amount of testing we did with those tires, they were just completely awesome. They even had, when it was a concrete start, they had these special Kitty Hawk tire warmers for me with a generator in the back of the side side on the start line. So, they, it was just, and because for me, being a heavier guy, I haven't pulled that many hole shots, you know, until I got with those guys. I mm -hmm. pulled one here or there or something. But when I got with those guys, it was just like, mm -hmm. You know, and then we had actors were doing a lot of tests with me, and we had the starting devices that wasn't like these Kenzie ones that some of these guys had the little metal things hooked to your arms, all that crap. It was right. actually in the, in the shot a rebound adjustment that we go down, freeze the rebound, kind of like the bikes do with their little button. Mm -hmm. I get to whenever I wanted to halfway down the straightaway or so the first turn, I hit the release button, pop shot to come back up, and it was just like a, a no brainer. I think I can't remember. I got on you know my home record at home. I want to say. 
oh, if there's 28 motos, I got 20 or 22 whole shot. It was just insane. I'm like, hey, that was cool. And I, and I remember at the time, uh, you know, again, I, like you said, I mean, you had some periodic hole shots here and there, but at the time it was like, Hey, you know, Joe never got any hole shots until he got with this setup, with these tires, with this engine package. Um, and on the, on the, you know, the 450 R I remember that being a huge deal at the time. Yeah. When I got with Das, cause I got, I've been with Das since day one on my, on the, Almost from day one on the four show, but day one on the Honda. I mean, as soon as I got that Honda, matter of fact, Wayne Henson, he probably kicked us out of the butt because we beat his butt 06 07 out of the championship. But he yep. hooked me up with Dan at NASA. And NASA was just a basically, he used to race three wheelers and he did some glamour stuff. He's big in the jet ski world. And while I went out there with him, man, he just bent over backwards and got me the best. I mean, I mean, right off the bat was better than anything I ever had. Sure. And then when it was big, 06, 07, 08, man, he, he come out with these custom cylinders and ball when they flip up and down about because I had a straight exhaust. And I mean, you know, we got protesting me down to 06, 7, 8, 9, ain't even funny, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But he, he was the reason, you know, him and the tires and the active shocks. And, you know, of course, it, it was just, that was the winning combo. Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. And I often think of, you know, you're kind of the guy that, at least in my mind, brought DASA to the forefront for ATV racing. And obviously he still, he still remains there to this day, but I, I credit you to kind of being that, uh, leader of the charge there. Hey, will you, will you call him and tell him, man, he owes me a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, um, when everyone came back, when everyone came running back to the AMA series in 2008, after WPSA had went under, like we kind of referenced, <laughs> did you feel a sense of pride? Like, Hey, you know, welcome back, <clears throat> but I never left. Yeah, exactly. And even, uh, you know, the Coombs is, and, you know, the race production, they all think, oh my God, I can't believe you stayed. Cause you know, like mm-hmm. you said, but uh, they didn't leave the whole series in 07, but the first, after about whatever it was, four races, they left for about four races. You'd have a guy hop in here or there, and then towards the end, they came back when they could. Yep. But then 08, everybody's back. He's like, here we go. The, all, all the teams back together. You know, who's, who's, you know, who's going to win again? And mm-hmm. and it was a good, uh, another good year. You know, like I said, shoulda, coulda, woulda, but I had a couple of DNFs, and I, I would have won 08 and 09. But it ain't what happened. My student, Dustin Wimmer, that kicked my like, system of riding schools, kicked my ass. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, starting with 2008 and 2009 and the year that followed, yeah, the years that followed those titles, I mean, you have, you may have very well won four consecutive titles, if not for those, um, you know, kind of those uh, problems that you had. And if not for a guy named Dustin Wimmer, who was a, a former understudy of yours, you won four events between those two seasons there. You finished runner up to Dustin in both championships. But, uh, you know, other than, you know, kind of those fluky things, the little problems that maybe derailed your title defenses in those years, what, what was it like competing against Dustin? He was a guy that kind of rode like you. He's a bigger guy. Again, he was somebody that went to your riding schools. What do you remember about, you know, racing against him and then those seasons other than obviously the hardships? Well, just knowing where he came from, I mean, he's always, they always are financially okay, but just knowing where he come from, a little punk kid on a blaster to, you know, and I always said, you're spoiled rotten, you know, so to speak, we'd laugh and he'd go out there and train with me and he'd just be lazy. And I'm like, you know, and I, in my head, I was like typical, you know, spoiled rotten little kid. But then he starts doing well in the, the <clears throat> amateur classes <clears throat> in the 450s, gets on the A class, starts winning pro am. I'm like, wait a minute. And then he came to me for an advanced riding school and he said, I think I want to go pro. I'm like, well, you got to, you got to train a little harder. You got to get a little more determination. And his mom looked at me like, oh, that's kind of rude. And so I said, tell you what we'll do. I think this was before Loretta Lynn's, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And gosh, I think it was, was it 05 maybe? 
yeah, maybe 05. And I said, let's go out. We'll do a 35-minute motor on my track. Go as hard as you can. I'm going to let you take off first. I'm going to pass you the first lap. And he looks at me, you know, because he knew I was going to. And then if I lap you, you're not – you don't need to go pro this year. And if I don't lap you, go pro. Because, you know, my track, my house, my, my, my temperatures, there ain't mm-hmm. too many guys I can't beat on my track, right? It's like, like you said earlier. Yep. But, you know, to lap him, and I – and he looked at me and said, all right, let's do it. And his mom looked like she was irritated me saying that. We took off, sure enough, right off the bat of passing. I half-tracked him pretty quick, and, you know, I, I got closer. I think I got within a, oh, gosh, a straightaway from him, and I just knew he was going to fall off the bike. <laughs> I was going to get him, but the little rascal didn't, and he hired a trainer, went down to Georgia, started training his ass off, and he actually surprised me, and, you know, he was a smooth rider, and he very, you know, methodical, and, you know, I know he had other guys other than me helping with setup, but he actually was pretty good with the setup. And he got a great team and just did it. He, I was really surprised, but he actually proud of him. You know, it's, he's been the best student so far. Yeah, he made uh, he made a hell of a racer, that's for sure. So, um, 2008, you kind of you referenced it a little bit earlier. Um, we're at Pleasure Valley, and we have the Josh Creamer last <laughs> cor- last corner incident. So, I, I want your perspective of what happened because it's the it's the it's the the video footage the story that everybody wants to hear so um kind of kind of give us the lowdown on that <laughs> all right so it's been a few years i'm calmed down by now <laughs> but, <laughs> but like i said he if you watch the video and we had a good race going he was on his game he was hauling ass we had wimmers hauling and we i went from first to second to third to second to first. you know we had it was a great race one of the best races i think we've seen in in quad racing because Everybody's going back and forth. It wasn't like somebody's chasing somebody down. It was a great race. And I think I was either going to – I think I got first or second first moto, and I was winning the second moto. No, I mean, Josh Creamer wasn't in the points championship that year. He could have won the moto and still – I'm not even sure if he still got on a podium. He had such a first bad first moto. I think he had a problem or something. Okay. So he was just out there trying to, <clears throat> trying to win just to be a badass, which, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But he came in that corner so hot. I already had my bike thrown sideways. I done missed the finger on the inside. Nobody's going around me on the finger. Literally 20 feet away is the finish line, the bottom of that jump. You remember, right? Yep, I do. Nobody's coming around me unless they just plow me. Well, he came in that turn so hard. He went around Wimmer on the outside so hard. And there's no way, if he hadn't hit me, he'd run off the track. Mm -hmm. So he hit me. And instantly, I didn't even know who it was at the time. It could have been Doug, could have been Wimmer. I just so pissed off because I knew how much money that cost me. I just started swinging, you know. (laughs) And I knew it was him. And then the little sucker didn't help me start getting the bikes undone until he sees Weenan, which is in the championship points that year on his Kawasaki. And then I'd be more mad. And then I hit the freaking hay bill after I got on the loose. I come back all now, just like shit storm going on. I'm so pissed off. I go back to the trailer. Nobody's at the podium. You know, we see Wimmer and Doug at the podium and Doug shook his hand up at me like, Oh, I'll beat you whenever we went by. And I'm pissed at him, you know? And so I'm just madder than a wool wet hen. And so people are all starting to rush to my trailer and the, I think Creamer actually rolled by. I said, you need to get the F out of my face like in three seconds. Or, you know, I can't hear. I said something ugly to him. I don't remember exactly the time, but yep. I don't want to. Right. He storms off. Next thing you know, the whole Kawasaki crew is coming down there. Jimmy White, whole mechanics are all coming down there. I grabbed a bar. I think I grabbed a half-inch ratchet. My, my mechanic grabbed a big tyrant tool. My grab grabbed something. Here comes old Harvard AMA coming in there, and Smitty's coming in there. And of course, <laughs> everybody's coming in to separate us. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And i got a long fuse. You know, I don't get mad too easy, but, mm-hmm. oh, man, I was pissed. Oh, I was so pissed. Anyways, they separated us all out. We got the hell out of there before something stupid happened, and we stopped at the nearest racetrack or pile or something. Had a big 
factory Kawasaki, it's probably the dirt bike, you know, toy they had. It's been nice, pretty toy. And my mechanic throws it out in the parking lot, runs over with her 18 wheeler, and just <laughs> takes off with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, well I mean, I, I, I hate losing like that, but he had no reason to do that other than just brain fart and want to be, a, you know, ram me up the ass or something. Or maybe he did it for winning points. I don't know what he did it for. He just was being an idiot and did it. But <clears throat> that cost me, like I told you, I didn't even get on the podium that race. So I, I went from 20, no, 30,000 to like 300 bucks. So it cost me that. Plus, that those amount of points I lost cost me the championship, which that was like a $150,000 bonus. So that was like a big no no, you know? So <clears throat> I was pissed for a long time over that. Of course, my mechanics mad because I'd get him, you know, big, big win bonuses too. And I'm like, oh, we were just so steamy. We want to just, oh, it was terrible. So I actually had people call me up, say, when are you going to make a public apology? I'm like, why the hell would I do that? He took me out, you know? Right. Well, that's just unsportsmanlike to do that. And, you know, the, the title on YouTube, bird hits cream in the face. I'm like, if I know how much money it's going to cost because I got fines for it and everything, I'd probably kick him in the face, you know? <laughs> I'm so pissed off. Right. And drug across the parking lot or something. But I said, I'm not going to apologize. Let me tell you why, brother. I said, how much money do you make a year? And I don't want to know. And I said, I don't want to. Let's say you make, you know, a half million dollars a year. That race cost me, you know, a quarter. I said it cost a quarter of my salary. Okay. Almost $200,000 that race cost me for him doing that. It cost me a championship. cost me a race. Let's say you're at Target or, or Toys R Us and you take a quarter of your salary and you go buy your, your son a toy. Okay. And now some jackass crook comes up and steals all your cash before he gives it to the, the clerk and runs out the door. You're going you're gonna to say, hey, sir, sorry. Sorry about your problem. You know, I apologize to you for calling your name. No, you can go chase his ass down and try to break his neck if you can, right? It's mm-hmm. a lot of money. Yep. Yep. So, no, I'm not going to apologize. No. I mean, he was an idiot. Right. I mean, I, I obviously I fully get the the emotion there. You feel like somebody had stolen something that was yours. So um, I totally, totally, totally get it. Uh, but I feel like honestly, like that's one of the most legendary moments uh, in, in, in the sports history, because everybody <laughs> remembers where they were when they first saw that when they first heard about it. They remember I mean, I remember I was standing in that corner, I will literally never forget that that's one of my <laughs> one of the most legendary moments, uh, you know, in the in the sports history. Obviously, it's, uh, you know, not something that you remember fondly, but it's like it, it it became a event of its own, you know, what happened in that final. Yeah, sure. It was, it was a talk of town for a while, you know, and it, and that's when it was big. I mean, you know, as well as I do, the sport was, it's big. So six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. We're racing for a big paycheck. Everybody's racing for a paycheck. I mean, and so, mm-hmm. you know, to do, you know, and I've done stupid stuff before I went in too hard on somebody, like I said, never tried to take nobody out, but I'm going to be an aggressive race because I want to make my cash, you know? So if I hit you a little hard, you know, tough shit, you know, don't, don't, don't open the door for me, you know, but right. doing something and taking people out and especially trying to hurt somebody. Nobody, nobody, I don't think anybody's out there trying to do that, but that one cost me a lot of money. He had no, he wasn't going to gain anything about it other than, Hey, look, I, you know, I look cool, you know? So, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That would, uh, that would have been a winning day for you and maybe would have changed the course of, um, you know, the, 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 the championship that season. And, um, you know, obviously the way that we remember you now as a two-time champ, maybe you would have been a three-time champ, but, uh, you know, after being top two in the championship, um, you know, for, for four consecutive seasons there, you missed five rounds in 2010. You'll have to fill us in on what that was about, but, um, then you came back strong in 2011 and you earned your, the final victory of your career at steel city and i wanted to ask you know what you remember of that day because i'm assuming that that one that one is one that's special for you yeah that was a good one um <clears throat> i remember that track i remember the, the, the top of 
that turn up on the far side. They had like a, a, a six pack or an eight pack or something. We had to turn the bike in the air. Yep. And I just had that dialed in. And only a couple of guys that could do that. And that's just where I was catching everybody. The rest of the track, I was holding my own or doing good, you know, and I got a good start. I might even either I pulled the whole shot or came out second and I just started walking. And then, like, you know, I started, yeah, and making up. It got real hard pack and I just didn't want to mess up. Of course, when you went in, everything's about to break. Your chain's about to fall off. You know, you hear all these rattles and everything. <laughs> yep. And I slowed down. Here comes Thomas Brown. He was like, oh, shit. I didn't know who, who it was. Somebody's on my ass. I'm like, oh, crap. I got to go. So I took back off again and, I, you know, he was stayed pretty close to me, but I almost screwed up because I let him, I let him get too close to me. But still, to this day, I kept that forward. I still have that forward up upstairs in my trophy room. Oh, that's awesome! I mean, yes, I kept, is- you know, I kept, my, of course, my championship bikes. I kept the, the last one that Honda gave me. Each one, okay. I kept the fi- bike I won my last race on, and I kept the bike I won my last or pulled my last whole shit on at Orleans in like 2016, whatever it was. Same thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's, that's cool. I mean, I, I believe, um, you know, I, I can, I can remember that steel city race. Um, so vividly, I remember you battling with Thomas. Thomas told us that that was the one that he felt like he got away from him. He felt like he should have won that day. Um, but yeah, I mean, four, one for the overall that day for you. Um, you know, that was, uh, that was the final win of your career. I know Denoble was up in the mix that day. I remember just a, just a number of memorable things happened that day, but to be, um, your final win, that's obviously got to be a special memory you know and then um you raced half the season in 2012 but then you came back in 2013 with a purpose and you earned the final podium of your career with a runner runner up finish at, at uh, wildcat creek in indiana um what about that day do you remember anything special about yeah that, that was a pretty good day that's when old detling crashed real hard it's when everybody yeah. the steamer, i believe yep, so I, I do I actually yep. Bike was working good i actually had a pretty i chased weaning down but i ran out of juice i just i just i, I I stayed with him for one moto and then Hetrick, I don't think it's that same moto, but Hetrick and Brown tried to come around me in the whoops and Hetrick just crashed right beside me. And everybody thought I hit him, but I never touched him. I remember that. Yeah. Around. Yeah. Brown tried to, after those whoops, you turn left, there's a, I don't know, a little step down. So I can't remember what it was. That was the finish he, line. Yep. So he tried to come around me and I did hit him and he ran off the track. Oh gosh, he was madder than hell. He had his fans at the podium cursing me and everything. I'm like, dude, that's, <laughs> I mean, I didn't take you out. Well, I guess I did, but I didn't, Necessarily mean to hit him that hard. He just came around faster than I expected, you know. But you know, okay. it didn't ever try to take nobody out. But it, you know, you're going to earn your pass when you come around me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Again, uh, I, I remember that day vividly. I remember some of those those uh, those passes and uh, the the non passes that you were able to hold off there. Um, what do you you know? Was it just everything click that day? I mean, why was that the day that you were able to podium and the rest of the races weren't maybe up to that, that standard for you at that time in your career? Was it just everything aligned that day? It was perfect or, or. Well, um, I'll tell you what it was. I know exactly okay. what it was. So okay. we, you had a couple of bad years there in between. I think we're just 12, 11, 13. I can't remember those okay. years. We, um, we lost all of our factory Honda stuff, all of our factory shots. You know, I had these special one-off shots at, Actions will make me these huge pistons. And, you know, like I told you, I'm a big guy, so I needed a really yep. nice shock. A production shot just wouldn't work. And okay. so they couldn't do anything else for me. You know, Penske pulled the plug on that, so I had to go to, without naming names, some other sponsors and say, hey, can you do something? Well, you know, they there's nobody that has the specs. Wien is the closest one. He's had the Fox shocks forever. So he's got he still has his factory stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So nobody from 2000, gosh, 11 or 12 had anything good for shocks goes, and nobody had a six foot five, 230 pound setting for a fast race. You know, I'm as fast as anybody out there was. 
and this setting was most of the settings are 145 to 185. You know, that's what the, that's where all the riders are, right? Five foot yep. nine, five ten. Yep. So now I'm trying to reinvent the wheel with production shots, and we just struggled and struggled and struggled. And what I told told Mallory said, I ain't struggling anymore. I'm either going to, you know, I'm retiring or I'm going to try to get the guys back. So the guy that used to do the building my shots at Axis, Andy Lambert, I called him up because, hey, you know, you got to, what's it going to take? Because he was still doing shots for himself. So he met me in Florida. We got the shots working better. We go to the next race and we was competitive again. Okay. It was all shots. Uh, and it, again, it makes sense. I mean, the, the, you're a different racer. You're just, you're cut different than, than most of the, most of the guys, especially the guys that are going, um, you know, at the speed that you're going. So that makes total sense. That was just my question. When you look at the results, I mean, there were certain days where you were just on later in your career where you were, you know, the, the results maybe weren't there as consistently. Um, but there was day, I mean, you still could go the speed to be right at the front of the pack. So, um, 2014 was a down year, 2015, you come out swinging though. And, uh, you finished fourth at the first ever Daytona supercross Joe bird was back. Tell me about that day. That had to be pretty special and it had to be cool for you um i mean the daytona event was a big deal uh it had to be cool for you to not only be a part of it still be in the sport at that time but also to put on a pretty good show um that had to be had to be a special memory as well yeah, it was good like i said i was getting up in later towards my career i was planning on retiring i believe it was that year or 16 okay and i, I wanted to go to daytona and i wanted to decide you know each each year at that point all the sponsors were gone i had you know the, I, of course i had sponsors getting some free stuff but you're talking about making the kind of money almost seven figures i was making to making nothing mm-hmm. and i'm like how much longer do i want to do this i did it for those few years just for love of sport now one of those years i got epstein bar i had it for two years i mean i couldn't had no energy you know for Shirley, I, i've tried to talk to him about it, but you just you're done you'd have no energy to train mm-hmm. and then i'm getting older i, was, I just started getting my 40s had to figure out the Epstein bar thing, how to start training again. So now you see me back at Daytona and I'm like, I'm ready. I went to my house in Florida. We started training our ass off. Got, I had my same good shots and I didn't have a mechanic, but I had a buddy of mine come with me. And that's where that year was kind of shitting because I, you know, I'm working my own bike again. I'm doing all that. And I'm like, this, you know, this sucked. You know, yeah. the harder I ride at home, the more I work on it, you know? So, mm-hmm. but Daytona, I just, it was a technical track. <clears throat> and when you get a technical track, I usually always would shine. And there was a couple of different sections of like me, I think Hetrick and Weenan and well, I'm sure Brown was there too, but I just, I was shining. I was like, I got this. And I ain't got a second right behind Hetrick in the heat race. And then in the main, I just think I just got a bad start and worked the fours or something, but it, you know, we all just stayed where we was at. It's, it's such a short track and you know, top guys were doing everything. So, but still me being, Gosh, 45 years old, bro, at least 25 years old. I, I mean, I, that was like a win for me, you know. Absolutely. No sponsors and no mechanic. And I'm like doing all this on myself. And mm-hmm. I think we actually had somebody drive my, my folder down. You no, know? I just had a – so it was fun. I, had, I was having fun again. I wouldn't make any money, but I was having fun again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I remember all of that because I remember, you know, you having a bike with basically no graphics on it. You're just you're just uh, there to race, have a good time. Um, I also remember it because in the heat race that you just referenced where it was Joel won, you got second, I got third. So I remember like <laughs> still to this day. I mean, that's, that's a, awesome. That's a screenshot that that is special to me because um, you're two of the greatest riders ever to, to finish even in the vicinity. You guys is pretty special. Um, but, you know, then you 
raced sparingly um, in 2016, 2017. I think, you know, kind of leading into some of those years, it, it seemed like you were maybe going to, this was going to be your, your kind of, um, you know, your fan appreciation kind of retirement tour. And then you'd come back, but I have to believe, you know, man, over after 25 years of professional ATV racing, you just talked about doing it for the love of the sport, which is awesome because I feel like so many people, when they walk away, they're just done with it. You still loved it. I have to feel like, um, you have to feel like you wrung yourself dry though. Like you gave everything to the sport that you had to give. Am I right? Well, literally, because 2016, I broke my neck three spots, three spots and had, uh, had to have two neck surgeries. They had to redo the nerves and the, the disc and all this stuff. And and we were, at, we were at one of the races, a couple of races in. I'm like, man, this is terrible. I had so much excruciating pain in my neck that I had a, we immediately flew right down to uh, Florida. <laughs> Me and my wife flew in my plane down to this only like three specialists in the country. I want, I want to have the best guy working on my neck. We went down there, had the surgery. He said, oh, you'll be here one night. You shouldn't be able to go home the next day. I'm like, okay. Well, I actually died on the table. Nobody knows that. I, they lost me. I was in surgery for like seven, eight hours. I had to, I had to stop. It was like three, three, um, three vertebrae that were messed up. All, and all those nerves and discs and everything messed up. But they couldn't even get but, but two up because they were so bad. They okay. And so, uh, so a month later, I had to go back down there, and they were expecting it this time. I had to say <laughs> almost a week that time, but they got me all fixed up. So 16 was a wash with my messed up neck. And, it, you know, it just happened over the years. I didn't, you know, I had I had a couple of hard landings and it just triggered, you know, the 33 years of racing. So, sure. and that's that's where 16 happened. And 17, I got the flu real bad for the beginning of the season. And I was in my bed shaking, just just having, just, just shaking real bad. They rushed me to the emergency room. And when they put the IV in me, they... I think they, I can't remember what happened because we, it was a big ordeal. They stuck me twice and they went to one arm to the other arm and they didn't put, change the needle out. And so I got a huge blood infection and my arm swelled up twice the size. I'm like, I got so sick for like a month. And so that was pretty much took care of all the 17. I think I hit the first couple rounds, maybe Daytona or something. Mm-hmm. And then that happened and I got so sick. So that's, I told Matt, I said, are we done? Is somebody trying to tell us something? I said, let me one more time. I'm going to try for 18. And I trained my butt off. The, I mentioned that I trained my butt off in Florida down there. I was ready. You know, I was 40, gosh, seven years old, whatever, six, six years old, whatever it was. And four days before I was riding with me, we were right there, you know, we we're having a good time. Stretch, Parker were working with him and Walsh came to ride with us. And okay. we're just, you know, I, I hope he's listening. We made him look like a little kid out there riding. We just smoked his ass every lap, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we was beating him, but we wasn't smoking his butt. But he came he i went inside before tabletop <clears throat> he still tried to do the tabletop and i'm like oh you know so i hit the brakes he hit the brakes he lands on my right knee messed my acl mcl up fall off the bike i can't walk four days before daytona this happens i looked at my wife i said you know what i'm done now you know after 16 17 now 18 and in 15 i had lost all the sponsors i'm like god's trying to tell me something <laughs> so right, i'm still yeah. walking i'm still healthy I've, I've been successful, you know, made good money. Everything was great. Had a great career. I got nothing else to prove. And that, that I was wanting to do it, you know, the year before they, they would give me the parade lap and everything at the, at the nationals. And yep. that didn't last because of the infection. And I wanted to do it 
18 actually told us that if I win Daytona, because I felt like I was going to podium for sure. So, but if I do win, I'm retiring right there on the podium. So, <laughs> okay. you know, I didn't even make Daytona. <laughs> so, Walk off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, obviously, um, it feels like, you know, the writing was on the wall there at some point. Yeah, you're right. You have to listen to God. You have to listen to the universe. You have to listen to whoever's telling you, Hey, uh, it's time to walk away. Especially like you said, you had your health. I mean, you had, you had been, you know, thrown through the fire, um, you know, with all these injuries and the stuff that you had to go through, but, um, you know, it, it obviously could have been worse. I mean, like you said, you were walking, you had a lot of blessings too. um, uh, literally in an amazing career. There's very few, very, very, very few. You could probably count on one hand of guys who had a better career, um, than you, if anybody. Um, and when you think back, I mean, do you think like, how the heck did I do it year after year for so many years? It's, it's truly incredible what you did and the longevity of your career, all the guys you race with, like you said, every champion that there's ever been in the sport you raced with, um, you know, the mark that you left on the sport is going to be there for forever. And you got to take a lot of pride in that, I would think. Yeah, just doing it for so long. You know, there's, not, there's hardly any of us that, you know, winning races over 40 or even raced in the pro class over 40. And to be the, <laughs> you know, race the longest of anybody, even Gary Denton, all these guys, I raced longer than they have, you know, yep, yep. And, 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 and to be the biggest guy, you're not too many big six foot tall, six, five goobers that weigh as much as me have ever pulled a whole shot or won a race, dirt bikes or four wheels. So that's a, you know, kind of a cool thing. I always say, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm a big goober out there with these jockeys, you know, <laughs> finally got lucky and win some races, you know, but right. uh, yeah, that, that, that feels good. Just to be able to do it, have, have that long and blessed career is awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and obviously your passion wasn't, we haven't really touched on this a ton, but your passion wasn't um, just for yourself as a racer either. You know, you fielded a bunch of great riders on your team over the years. Um, you know, obviously Heather, of course, and Adrian Cooper and, and Clay Holmes and, um, you know, et cetera, the list goes on. And basically all of them were super successful winning national championships and such. So I have to think that uh, that was a special thing for you too, to see um, those riders achieve great success under your tutelage. Yeah, me and Clay talked about this the other day. So um, I think he won 07 in the Pro-Am class. And then yep. 08, he, we both came out. I can't remember what round it was. I know it was Bowling Green. That we have a pitcher. Me come in first, and he's right beside me in second. You know, you know he's, he's, my, he's, my, he's my, my rider. You know, he's mm -hmm. my, my best rider. <clears throat> my, you know, we train almost every day. He drive iron and half one way and iron and half back to my house every day. So he had the dedication. And we trained and would have that picture hanging on the wall. just cool as shit. You know, I thought, and he thought it was cool, you know, because bikes look just like we had the same sponsors, same right. bikes. You know, my, my best friend was his mechanic, you know, and we'd ride together all the time. That was really cool. And yeah, I had a bunch of good riders on our team, you know, without going through the big name. But at one time I had a 15 guy rider list, you know, and I didn't have to do that. I wasn't making anything off of that, you know, even. Even all the riders that were training with me, you know, I, I did it because I wanted somebody to train with, and I, I love Clay Holmes and his family and everything. And, you know, we had good sponsors, but they would just give me just enough for me and maybe a little bit more. And I'd buy a little bit of stuff or they'd have my uh, old stuff. But, you know, it was it was a struggle to have that team. And I did it just so I had people to ride with. And I knew they, they, they appreciated what I was doing for them. But it was a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, you have 15 guys at your house training off when I had that bird training facility. Mm -hmm. that was a headache you know, between the cleanups and the missing parts and the, the you know the 
there were some good guys or some crybabies and you know nobody wanted to prep the track or water the track it just felt like i was babysitting the whole time like i said i we all get along now Wick, but sometimes i just want to wring some of their neck you know the wife's cooking <laughs> clean for everybody and you got all these guys my big shop i had living quarters in there for everybody and then you know the argentinas you know they were great to me but they had their rvs there and i'm like holy crap we had just a huge team that i was taking care of for like three or four years and a couple of the guys like clay holmes i really took care of and you know it was um and I did it for the love of the sport and for them. I didn't do it to make a quick buck because I didn't make any money doing it. You know, I did riding schools to make money. And, and the, you know, I'd have some people come. I would train them. But, you know, it's all for the love of the sport, not not for a quick buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so glad that we got to touch on that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's to think about how tough it is to run a race program let alone, you know, have all of these race programs of all of these different riders all underneath you. Um, yeah, that's incredible. Um, and, and I guess, uh, you know, as we transition to, you know, kind of where you are at now, we know that you're in a really good spot. We had, you obviously had a great career. Um, you did super well for yourself, but this is a topic that we've talked about a bunch on the podcast here. The fact that some people struggle, um, you know, kind of finding an identity, um, you know, kind of, when, when the professional racing, when that part of your life ends, um, you know, and, and what else can you expect when for so long you've given your life to one thing? Um, but what was that transition like for you to kind of transition into not being a, you know, professional athlete anymore? Uh, he asked my wife that she said, Oh, sucks. <laughs> you know, you, you used to, you know, being somebody, you know, and you're on top of the world or, you know, you, you've accomplished so much and then you retire, you know, you, you're looking around at the store, you travel somewhere and nobody's, you know, the phones, you know, used to even what the social media before about my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all this would be fired up every day. I'm like, Oh gosh, leave me alone. I'm trying to do this or that. <laughs> now I'm like, hello, is anybody out there? <laughs> you know, I'm still here guys, but right. it's been tough. I mean, I, I guess it's tough for anybody, you know, football players, you know, basketball, you know, most of those guys, they don't do it for as long as I did, you know, 33 years in the hot seat and, you know, that's a, that's a long time to just to shut the door. And, you know, you know if, if there was still big money in it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have stopped that year. And I'd probably still be doing it, you know, because it was right, you know, who don't want that kind of money, but there's just nothing there right now. And the sport's not as hyped up as it was 15 years ago for dang sure. And even not when we was on two strokes, it's just, I don't know. It's, there'll be a surge again somewhere down the line. And it's a shame for guys like Thomas Brown. He's an amazing rider, you know, talented, but never could make any money at it. You know, I'm like, and Hedrick's, you know, I'm sure he's doing okay, but he's not, he should be rock star money, you know, and it's just not there. And these guys got in it right at the tail end of the big money and just never got to claim any of it. Even some of your fifth, sixth, seventh place guys, they're, they're, they're not making a dime. Somebody else is still paying for it. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have told this story a number of times, but people like, you know, my age bracket, um, Jeffrey and Joel and myself and, you know, countless other riders. But when we were transitioning, you know, at the top youth classes to being at the top amateur classes, um, you know, for me, Jeffrey, Joel, that was that 2006, seven, eight, nine period. And so we kind of got baited in. I mean, that's what, that's what my family thought was going to happen because there was guys, I was racing at a local level back home. I wasn't of age to ride a 450 yet. I was beating these guys and they were factory riders. 
you know? So right. um, we got baited in. I mean, there, we all thought that there was going to be a light at the end of the tunnel, that we were going to get these factory affiliated rides and, you know, whether it was the recession and all the other stuff that happened, but uh, we got baited in and then got there, got to the finish line and there was nothing there waiting for us. So yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. I mean, guys like Thomas Brown, who's, you know, not much older than me. Um, yeah, it stinks. Like uh, we just missed out, but for somebody like you, you were able to cash in, um, at the, the peak of the sport, obviously, hopefully we, um, you know, obviously we hope things come full circle and can, uh, you know, kind of get back to some of that stuff. But in the meantime, you know, stuff like digging deep stuff, like we're doing here, hopefully we can bring a little buzz, more buzz to the sport than there would be without us. But, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a huge topic to touch on. But, um, as we wrap this thing up, Joe, I can't thank you enough for doing this, by the way. Uh, this has been awesome. Um, do you have any favorite racing memory? If I was to, you know, we've recounted a million things here tonight. (laughs) If you have one thing, do you have anything that stands out at the very top of the list? Well, there's stuff that stands out that I really screwed up on. (laughs) There's stuff that stands out like my first pro win. There's nothing better than that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're gosh, I was, uh, 20 years or so before I even, you know, won that championship. Some, of course, some guys do it a lot faster. Rodney Ginger did it in like two or three years. And he was 18, 19, the youngest pro ever. But I just didn't have – I had to work hard. You know, we didn't have the talent, the backing, the sponsors. And it took me a long time. And injuries fell apart. But you had to win that first championship. Was, and, and that race at Bowling Green. Because Honda told me everybody was there. You know, all the big guys there, all the factor teams are there. And Honda looked at me and told me – they called me up on the phone. They called all the other pro riders or, you know, the Honda riders up. They said, you know – Joe, all you got to do is stay somewhere near Doug Gus. Don't worry about winning the race. Unless he's in first, you stay get second. If he's in fifth, you get sixth. Don't worry about it. We want you to bring home this trophy. And that's that was interesting to have those team owners, so to speak, to, you know, to listen to do that. You know, they, I know they talked to Upperman and Goodman, and they said, don't not race, you know, but if Joe's behind you and he needs to get by, don't make just don't make it hard for him. They didn't say pull over, just just don't make it hard for him. Yeah. And that's, they did. Upperman and Go ahead. I remember they both of them did that. I mean, I think Goodman pulled a whole shot red lens and he made it look a little obvious, but Urban did that. He was hold his line or he'd take a little bit wide line and I'm just coming through like a freight train. You know, I'm seeing every green sign, you know, that green sign, you know, I want that money, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was uh that was some interesting to get told that and 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 to win that race. That was that was some cool stuff. Yeah, that's special. That's uh unlike anything you've ever you would have ever experienced up till that point, especially now the factors are involved you're in in this title chase. So yeah, that is a that is a um uh, awesome story to hear. Uh well what, you gotta remember I was you know, I, I was probably doing it gosh, 18, 17, 18 years before any big money came. You know, we'd make some money here and there, but the real money came and then I was I was in my thirties, you know, before mm-hmm. I started making big money. So the guys that are you know, maybe quit a little early. You know, I don't know everybody's got to make money. You got to, I get all that, you know, but you know, if you can go make money, be safe, do it. But you know, it took me a long time before the big money came. Yeah. Well, thankfully you saw it through. I mean, this is a conversation we had with Doug too. And Doug <clears throat> told us that, uh, that man, he was, he just about walked away and thankfully he didn't because he was able to, you know, uh, you know, go on to get the Suzuki money, the Suzuki rides and everything that came with that. So, uh, thankfully you too, thankfully you stuck it out because, uh, lesser man, I mean, think about all the guys that you would have raced with that didn't see it through now, not, you know, they weren't Joe bird, but I'm sure they were wishing that they would have saw it through like you did, you know? Yeah, because even, uh, gosh, I think even like seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth place guys, when it was big, were making enough money to make a living at it, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, it, yeah. It was, it was that kind of money, you know? And 
And yeah, Doug, Doug I remember Doug saying he, his girlfriend made a sign a contract that one year he and I both got hurt at the same time because we were tying the points. You can't mm-hmm. ever race again. He signed it. He didn't yeah. race for a little while, but he's, he got hurt a bad a few times and he's like, I'm, I'm done. I, I can't, you know, I got to make money. And he wasn't making any money. You know, I remember, my gosh, if he's making 20 to 40 grand back on two strokes, it was like, oh man, I, I got to get that DG bumper deal because far as get 20 grand, you know, whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Then you sell your bike at the end of the year and that's, that's all the money you made, you know. And it finally, we stayed with it long enough. We, you know, not everybody got paid off, you know, so to speak, but it, some of the, you know, main, you know, me and Doug Gus and Italian, the ones that have been there a long time, you know, really got paid off. You know, people like Shane Hitt and Tim Farr, just as talented as we are, they got out a little early for whatever mm-hmm. reason and they missed the big money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was, uh, that was, uh, you know, you were able to, to benefit from that and you deserved it. So, um, what if I was uh, to ask you your toughest competitor, who would you tell me? Toughest competitor. You're going to say, I would say just with a rivalry, you know, you know, there's some people who say, oh, Joe's a dirty rider. Natalie's aggressive. Probably me and Natalie. You know, John Natalie would be the toughest one. You know, me and Doug Gus had great races and, and, uh, you know, Weenan and a lot of guys, but I'd say Natalie hit me just as much as I hit him and I just sooner choke him some of those years, you know. <laughs> so he's the guy I throw darts at on the wall. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Two fierce competitors there. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. if you had a chance to give some advice to current riders, uh, racers who are striving to make it to the big time, like you did someday, what would you tell them? Well, first you need, you need to learn the business out of it. You need to learn your machine because if you don't know how to set up your machine, you know, not everybody's going to set it up for you. And you know, if it's easy, everybody do it. You know, the easiest thing in the world is to train. You know, mm-hmm. you're not going to, you can't have a Joe Bird bike and go win. You know, just like I said, well, look, I can't jump on Weenie's bike because I'm not physically ready. Make sure your machine is ready. Nobody, you know, don't expect somebody else to do it for you. And get off the couch and go run, you know, go train. It's, there's, you know, people let tra- train you or, you know, I wasn't, I didn't want nobody training me because I went to school for that. And I wanted to not, I didn't want nobody knowing what I was doing. So there's tr- people that need to be trained. There's people that don't need to be trained. But either way, get off the couch. That's, you know, it's, if it's easy, everybody would do it. And effort, effort too, right? Is, is some of the stuff you're touching on. You got to have the effort. You got to put in the, the hard work, determination. And some people have it, some people don't. That's why there's only one champion a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, with you too, I mean, whether it was training, whether it was working on your bikes, whether it was working on the track, whether it was, you know, whatever, um, I feel like uh, what stuck with me from being at your house with you guys way back when was that there was no corners cut with your program in any way, shape or form. And I feel like that's, that's how you have to be. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you can't cut corners for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you want to be or, or how do you want to be remembered within the ATV community, Joe? <laughs> oh gosh. I don't know. Just, uh, you know, a champion at give his heart to the sport. And, uh, I guess kind of tying in with that, but, um, how do you have any messages for your fans out there? Because you've, you had a, had a bunch of them, um, any fans out there that backed you for so many years, do you have any message for them? Oh gosh. Yeah. I got a whole lot. Well, you know, people still connect with me. Hey, I'm still here. Still stay connected with me. And, uh, you know, I've been friends with a lot of them and I like to keep those friendships going. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool when, um, it gets to the point where you're at now where you're accessible, you know, or a person like me can send you a message and, uh, you know, you're going to get an answer back. So, uh, that's, uh, the bird man himself saying that, uh, don't be a stranger. You can reach out to him. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that. Awesome. Joe. Well, I, I can't thank you, uh, enough for taking the time to sit down with me here. Like I said, um, when, when we started, uh, you were a hero of mine. So to have this conversation with you was really special to me later in your career. I got to line up in the pro class with you and dice it up a little bit. And honestly, um, every time I looked at the the bird number seven on the track, I felt like I should pinch myself because a decade prior, <laughs> I was down at, at the house with you and, and, and man, to me, you were, you were Elvis, you were Tiger Woods, you were Michael Jordan. That's what you were to me. That's how I viewed you. So um, from a little boy looking up to you, to sharing the track with you, to being, um, you know, here with you, having you join me on the podcast, man, I just, uh, I can't thank you enough, buddy. It's truly an honor. Well, you know what? Like I said, you need to tell my wife all this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome to hear you say that. And you know, what's cool is a lot of the guys that I did teach, you know, over the years, there's dozens of them that actually came in a pro class and raced with me. That, that was cool to see, you know, that I had a, you know, a little bit of, you know, something to give these guys where they could get, to the, you know, they, they probably would have got there. You would have got there without me, but hopefully I helped speed that process up and hopefully you learn something. And that's, that's why I do the schools, you know, to, to make it um, just a easier transition for you to get in that pro class and, and learn something and, you know, how to set up your machine and not buy their own product. And, you know, it's, it's just an easier transition for everybody. And I really, you know, enjoy doing that. George seeing you out there battling with me and we had, we had a big time, you know, I, I still be doing today if I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are, those are from being at your house to on the track and everywhere in between. Those are just, those are memories. I'll, I'll never forget. That's for sure. So uh, Joe, we're going to get you out of here on that note. I just want to thank you again. Thank you for uh, being so gracious with your time. I know so many people were looking forward to this one and I think they're definitely going to enjoy it. So um, buddy, uh, thanks again, stay safe, stay healthy. And uh, let me know when you want to talk some more A to B racing so we can get you back yeah. on. Cause, cause you're always welcome here. Well, keep up the good work, man. With this, like I said, this is going to create a buzz, and you're doing a great job, and it's real professional. Yeah, you did, and I was uh, proud of you for uh, doing a good job tonight. So I appreciate the call. Yeah, uh, you're the man. That's uh, that's two-time champ, ATB racing legend Joe Bird. Brought to you by Yamaha. Check out Yamaha's full off-road lineup at YamahaOutdoors.com. Thanks again, Birdman. See you soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Birdman, Birdman. All right, guys, we have a little bonus coverage for you here. Brought to you by DP Brakes, the world leader in centered brake technology. Join the best ATB racers in the world on DP Brakes by going to www.dp-brakes.com today. Say hello to AMA ATB Pro Class National Championship winning mechanic, former wrench for Joe Bird, Mr. Bill Mickey. What's going on, buddy? Stoked to uh, stoked to chat with you for a few minutes about your time with the Birdman. Heck yeah, man. I appreciate you uh, getting this set up. I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. Always good to, good to talk some, uh, some ATV motocross and some, some old memories. So uh, how long, starting off, how long did you end up wrenching for, for Joe? Oh man, it was uh, CO seven to 09. And then um, I guess it was 13, 14, 15 and I think then 17, something like that. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I knew that you, you know, you were obviously full-time kind of stint there at the beginning. And then, yeah, you were always kind of, uh, around when you could be, that's pretty much how, how it worked out. Right. 
Yeah, for the most part, um, you know, I went off and dabbled with some other stuff, did some uh, drag racing for a while, mm-hmm. uh, kind of did my own thing for a while. And I never really left down here, you know, Joe's area. So it just made sense to, uh, you know, he needed somebody over there and I love racing. So we just went racing. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, obviously that was your background um, because you had, so I, I believe it butted right up to each other that you had actually worked for my dad at Jansen Motorsports and then you went directly to Joe, right? It did. Yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, working for your dad for, oh man, oh, it was two years or something anyway. I mean, I was mm-hmm. pretty green behind the ears, fresh out of MMI. Yep. And, uh, uh, you know, I was racing myself and uh, well, like you say with skids, uh, you know, I <laughs> banged my head enough times and I, when the opportunity come up with Joe, I was like, man, that doesn't sound like too bad of an idea. So, mm-hmm. uh, of course they had, uh, him and Chris had just won a championship. Yep. And so I kind of got thrown right in the middle of, you know, when he was at the top, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Course, yeah. That- that was coming off of the 2006 season going into 2007. Uh, that's when you kind of came on the program and how did that opportunity come about? Um, well, they had, ah, man, that was before really Facebook and stuff. I think there was, I heard some rumors that, uh, there might be uh, a position open there and I'd done several schools with Joe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, uh, let me shoot an email and see what happens. And, um, I mean, within a day he had, he had called and we set it up and I drove down here. Uh, I think I stayed and worked better part of a week and, okay. and then got offered the position. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So was it a, was it a no type, uh, a no brainer type of decision at that point for you? Uh, I had to do some thinking about it, but for the most part, no, it was pretty easy. Um, you know, it was hard leaving, you know, the Wisconsin family. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, it worked out that I had my parents had actually moved to Kentucky. So they were only like an hour away. So I thought, Hey, this could be pretty easy, you know, and yep. see them more and everything else. So yeah, it was, like, it was like, it was like fate. It was like the, the universe was, uh, was aligning for you to take a position like that. And obviously, um, huge opportunity for you. And like you said, I actually, I just stumbled across the the pictures, some of the pictures of you and Joe together. And, uh, you look so young, you look so young oh. and it's crazy. Yeah. You, you're, you're not wrong, man. I, I look back on some, I've got some, you know, scrapbooks and stuff, some of the pictures. And I was like, some of what I see myself wearing, I was like, what were you doing? <laughs> right. Different times. But, uh, so, okay. So take me back to the beginning, right. When you, when you kind of take this position, um, were you intimidated by Joe at all? Like at the beginning, because I feel like he could possibly be a big, scary guy. Uh, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but, uh, you know, I had done some schools and, you know, we were kind of already on a, we got along already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we would talk at the racetrack and stuff yep. uh, beforehand. So it wasn't like we were strangers to each other, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, it was real intimidating going from, you know, coming into a program that had just won a championship, mm-hmm. um, you know, and 
I had big shoes to fill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, you know, being again, like you said, I mean, you're living, uh, living, eating, sleeping, breathing ATV motocross when you're doing it yourself, even, you know, local level and doing nationals and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we all, the way that we look up to those pro riders, especially back then when we're younger and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, that was some of it too. I feel like you're looking up at somebody you kind of always, you know, looked up to or, or whatever. So that's why I, I wanted to ask a question like that, but uh, ultimately you come on and, uh, and, and as Joe's mechanic, you win another title in 2007, back to back for the Birdman, like you said, um, what do you remember about that season? Cause that has to be a, a super special memory for you. It really is. I mean, uh, man, that was a wild year. You know, there was a lot of races that could have went either way. Um, you know, and then, it, uh, it come down to Loretta's. We needed to get, uh, I think, eighth or something um, to, to clinch it, the first moto at Loretta's. And, of course, we were dealing with all the sound uh, decibel issues with, with the AMA coming into it that year. Mm -hmm. um, so we had that resonator cam on the, on the head pipe, and we had enough uh, – Dan was getting enough – us enough headers where you know i could swap them out and keep an eye on them um, okay and it was just one that we we ran and that resonator broke off and i ended up having to change it there in the mechanics area with we never tried to shut it off and melted fingerprints off and and had people throwing tools at me and we got it changed of course we were way down but um that ended up being it and that was like just the end of a huge roller coaster like it was so crazy how that race went. Oh my gosh. Talk about, uh, talk about, I'm sure a, a roller coaster of emotions. Like you said, when, uh, your back's against the wall, you got to perform at the, at the final event and, uh, you're having to deal with all of this. That's, that's unneeded stress, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I was so wore out from just doing <laughs> that whole first moto and all that, you know, feelings and emotions going into that first moto of, you know, I'm a, we've got a pretty good shot at this title and I've only been here for, you know, eight months. And, um, you know, to have Harv come over and say that, that we had clinched it after the first moto was just like, yeah, you know, party. I mean, it just felt so good. Right. Yeah. That's so special. I mean, and again, I mean, you're, you're living the dream, right? You know, you're a, you're a Northern kid. Now you're racing and winning with, um, a, a guy that we all idolize. So I, I feel like you can't overstate that. No, not at all. I mean, you know, it was just, it was just so wild how fast everything went from zero to a hundred, uh -huh. um, you know, within a few months of, of living down here, um, not barely a few months, a few weeks. Um, you know, I was shipped out to DASA and helping do stuff out there, you know, and okay. get that going for yep. us. It, yep. It was just wild. Yeah. And, and, um, so, you know, it, it was just as crazy and it seemed just as fast for me on this end. I mean, it, it felt like in the blink of an eye, you went from working in the back of dad's shop to, you know, being Joe Bird's right-hand man. And uh, like I told Joe, I mean, back then, the way that we looked at pros, it was like he was, he was Michael Jordan or MJ or Elvis or something to us. So you went from being, you know, working, you know, in the back of dad's shop to being Joe Bird's guy. It was like crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I was at the shop and then, you know, we'd go to, um, 
I'd race some of the closer nationals, you know, Walnut, stuff like that yep. those years. Um, and to see all those guys was always just so awesome, you know. I mean, that's what you went there for was, you know, obviously to race, but you wanted right. to see, you know, and, and catch a glimpse. Mm-hmm. And then to just within a few months be standing on the starting line, you know, heckling each other. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. Yeah. Going to battle with them. That is cool. Um, okay. So overall, what was it, what was it like, uh, working for Joe, you know, like, what would you, what would you say it was like, uh, or, or how would you describe Joe as a boss? Ooh, um, it was worth it. Um, you know, we had some, some amazing times, you know, there was times we were at each other, you know, mm-hmm. um, but we worked well together, um, you know, as a boss, I knew what he wanted, um, you know, and we always worked out our problems. I mean, um, you know, now with his, in, with his flying and stuff now and me farming now, now he's doing some spray plane stuff and spraying stuff for me. So he's kind of working almost for me at times. Sure. So that's just pretty crazy. But, uh, yeah. That's um, that- that's cool. I mean, I feel like it also talks, it, uh, it speaks towards your relationship when, I mean, on and off you guys work together for a decade basically. Um, so, and, and now to still be buddies and work together in this way, uh, I feel like that that's pretty telling about your, uh, your relationship and your friendship there. Yeah. I mean, you can't be, you know, like you say, I mean, seven, eight years of, of sitting in a truck together, mm-hmm. you know, Yep. standing in the party line together and all those emotions of, you know, before a race, after a race, you know, the ride home. I mean, you can't do it that long and not have, you know, something with somebody, you know, I mean, it's just part of it. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, what about a, a favorite memory or story working together? Do you have anything that stands out? Um, man, I'd have to say it's going to go back to that first year. Okay. At, sunset ridge um you know everybody had kind of uh that was the wpsa stuff was going on Mm -hmm. Uh, and chad had got the uh suzuki stuff and you know had been winning the wpsa well then it all come back to walnut um and everybody was back together and uh chad just just drove right past joe uh, you know, we were out front, Chad passed them almost like we were standing still and okay. I got a little worried and, uh, man, Joe just seen what he needed to see. And that next lap just come right back by and pass Chad through the whoops when Chad was, you know, the whoop master back then mm-hmm. and to have him go back past them, you know, and then to stand on top of the podium that day, that one was pretty special. Um, you know, I was nervous going into it because, you know, maybe we didn't have all the competition at, at some of the earlier rounds. Right. Uh, and then once everything kind of got back together and we showed that we weren't there to mess around, um, that one felt good. Yeah. And as a, as a mechanic, I have to believe when you have a guy like Joe bird, who's literally never going to give up, he's going to give you everything you have as a mechanic. I have to believe that that's a pretty special feeling too. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, just to see what the stuff he could see, um, you know, and just how smart he was about it. Never got excited, you know, just wait that time and, and make it 
when he could make it stick, he'd make it stick. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, that one was, that was pretty special. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So a little more broad here, but I, I think Joe really doesn't get the credit he deserves at times. And man, after talking to him, he was so upbeat and so positive and so passionate. Uh, I don't know. I just, I came away so impressed. Um, so I'll ask you, how should Joe bird be remembered within the ATV community? I mean, he's, he's one of the greats. I mean, hands down, I mean, two titles, uh, we got second two years. I mean, we were always in the fight, you know, for those four years for sure. Yep. You know, think of the people that, you know, these kids that have done schools, um, and some of the connections and family that, that he's made by having those schools, you know, around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still people in France that I talk to from, you know, now and then from schools that me and him did in, in 2007 and eight. Sure. And I mean, you can't ignore all that. I mean, what he did with the schools early on, I mean, is just phenomenal for the industry and for the, the sport, you know? Yep. Um, so I, I came away from the, the conversation to, you know, uh, feeling like his, his passion and how much he loved it and how much he just, you know, he didn't want to quit, didn't want to give it up. And then how he still said, um, basically like if, if it was up to him, he'd still be doing it. Um, you know, that passion, you love to see that in an athlete and yes, he's one of the greats. Not only did he do it for literally ever, I mean, 30 years or whatever, but when he was at his best, when he was performing, when he was in the mix, when he was winning and then, you know, finishing, you know, second and back-to-back years to Dustin Wimmer. So he's top two for four years. That was the heyday of ATV motocross. That was, those were the, that was ATV motocross at its prime. Right. So, I mean, absolutely 100% people have to remember him as one of the greats yeah absolutely i mean you had all that factor involvement you know all the personnel there all the eyes watching mm-hmm. you know from that you know 05 to i guess you call it 2009-10 you know everybody was there you know and he was at the top so you can't deny that he wasn't isn't one of the best Yep. Agreed. Uh, so he told us about, you know, his, his bonuses and incentives and everything like that. So let me ask you, Bill, how was your win bonus, uh, incentive? How was, how was that for you? Was he, uh, was he, was he generous and generous in that regard? Uh, I mean, mean, for, uh, you know, coming out that first year, I mean, I wasn't 20, two i think when i started down there sure so you know some of that's pretty good money you know mm-hmm. oh yeah uh, you know i mean i sure you always want more but uh, oh no, yeah I, it was fair enough i'm, I'm asking obviously in good fun um yeah. Okay. So we're going to get you out of here on this note, buddy. Um, tell me one more, or tell me one thing that we don't know about joe bird give us a look behind the scenes Dude, he takes baths. Like, <laughs> only don't shower. He's got to have that bath. Really? Okay. Yeah, it still creeps me out. <laughs> maybe it's the fo- maybe it's the fountain of youth. Yeah, uh, maybe that's what it is. Uh, I was never one for a bath. I guess for as long as I can remember. No, me and neither. We, we went to France and had like a a guest house to stay in and. And over there, they didn't have showers. Okay. 
and he was just like, oh, it's no big deal. Just get a bath. And I'm like, dude, I don't take baths. I, I don't want to. <laughs> and that was a pretty good argument, even all the way home on a plane ride. Oh my gosh. I don't know what I was expecting from that question, but I don't think baths was the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, buddy, I can't thank you enough for chatting with me for a few minutes here. Uh, still to this day, you're one of my favorite dudes I've ever met through the sport. So um, had to get you on here to, to cap off such a great episode. And uh, obviously, let me take this opportunity to be probably the last person to do so. But we need to congratulate you because you'll forever be a national championship winning mechanic. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Awesome, pal. Well, uh, thanks again. And uh, hey, if you ever want to come back on and talk some ATV motocross or tell some old stories, um, you're always welcome here. That's awesome. I'll think about some stuff. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, pal. That's Bill Mickey brought to you by DP Brakes. Check out the world leader in centered brake technology at www.dp-brakes.com today. Take care, brother. Yeah. B -b -b bird 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 is the word joe bird is undeniably a legend one of the greats and it was an honor to have him join me here on the digging deep atvmx podcast and it sounds like he'd be up to do it again sometime which is awesome major thanks to tonight's guest joe bird and his longtime mechanic bill mickey thanks to producer dallas jansen my brother thanks to brooke and ama official harv whipple Thanks to our sponsors, CST Tires, shop.csttires.com, Yamaha, thanks to Blue Crew, Valvoline, SSI decals, DID Racing Chain, Namira Technologies, Bronco ATV and UTV components, Launderville Steel Enterprises and Concrete Supply, Forworks Carbon, DP Brakes, Gripped Gloves, Factory 43, Bike Strikes and Quads, LLC, and Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. Support the brands that support our show, and don't forget to use those codes to save. Find it all on our website, and be sure to click that Rocky Mountain ATVMC banner for all your off-season needs and to help us out. And most of all, thanks to you guys for listening. Our show merchandise, including Digging Deep shirts, hoodies, our new Quad Guys Get Hot Chicks shirts and hoodies, national championship merch, and more are all available at shop.diggingdeepatvmx.com. If you're looking for another easy way to help support us, visit our website and click the Buy Me a Coffee button. This allows you to set up a one-time or monthly contribution to help us out. You can call our voicemail line anytime, 920-569-3519, and follow the show on social media, Digging Deep ATVMX Podcast, and myself, Cody Jansen, for additional content and Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy Info as Daytona Nears. Remember, you can sign up today at atvfantasy.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon's Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. You know the drill. Basically, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find the Digging Deep ATVMX podcast. All episodes, additional podcast providers, sponsor links, and discount codes, our show merchandise, fantasy info, and more can all be found on our website, diggingdeepatvmx.com. So check that out today. Again, atvfantasy.com to sign up for the Digging Deep ATVMX Fantasy League. Be a friend, tell a friend. Please download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And with that, for Joe Bird, Bill Mickey, Brooke Catherine, Dallas Jansen, and I'm your host, Cody Jansen. Thanks for listening to the number one podcast in ATV racing, 2 million downloads and counting. Until next time, thanks for joining us and digging deep with the stars of ATV Motocross. Those guys were hauling ass, for real. 
I remember watching Doug Gus, I don't know who it was, Steel City, running the same times Friday afternoon as James Stewart was on Sunday back then at Steel City. I, I, I would need to check this out. I, I, I'm dead serious. It was mental. I've never seen quads go that fast. It's not easy, Steve. It's not easy. Listen, JB. I <laughs> no, don't want to hear. It's not easy. I don't want to hear. Quad leaders are freaking mad. You don't chew big red. Then. What the? <laughs> Fellas, we're in the thick of winter and a storm's a brewing. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped specialize in products to make sure you're walking around town with beautiful snowballs. Manscaped is here to provide you with the best tools for your grooming experience, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Lawnmower 3.0 Electric Trimmer is the best hygiene tool for the modern man. You know the drill, ceramic blade, advanced skincare technology, waterproof capabilities, it's simply the best. And Manscaped's Performance Package is the best buy of 2021. The Performance Package comes with the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Performance Boxer Briefs, a Travel Bag Deodorant, and Soothing Aloe Toner. And with our background, you know we might as well use the best tools for the job. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code DIGGINGDEEP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using code DIGGINGDEEP20.